Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. My friends, something alarming is taking place. The free speech clause of our Constitution doesn't just apply to speech that the elites deem acceptable. It exists to support speech that is, by its nature, offensive. Offensive to people in power, offensive at times to lawmakers, offensive to Facebook, and even offensive to the cool crowd that thinks abortion is just a sacred right, and that Trump himself is a dangerous dictator. We indeed are reaching a crisis point where cultural walls are now being erected to conscript and still free speech in America. But we cannot let this continue. At the end of tonight's show, I'm going to be announcing my response to this dangerous epidemic and what this show will do in the coming weeks to expose the perpetrators, their tactics, their major players, and their funders. Their efforts are Stalinist, pure and simple. Their objective is a total transformation of American society, not through rational discourse and open debate, but through personal demonization and silencing. True liberals and conservatives should defend the freedom of speech anywhere and everywhere, because the tables can turn very quickly. Today, it's conservatives being targeted, but tomorrow, it could be left-of-center voices as well. I say, let the debate continue. What the speech czars don't seem to appreciate is that there are as, as many, or if not more, of us than there are of them. And we will never relent. And we will never give in. Never. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. Of course, that's Laura Ingram coming in on our intro because she's back on the air. Interesting reality that her major advertisers all came back and that hogwash didn't do anything. But it's the 16th of April, year of our Lord, 2018. And I'm back. And I'm unemployed. Yeah. Interesting concept. Actually walked off my job. I, I couldn't do it anymore. Didn't make a lot of money. As those follow the show, I, I have pension and, you know, disability. And I did this as a favor, but the favor ran out. So for the first time in my life, I'm not working. I actually got paid out to leave once I gave my notice. So I will be kind of slowly looking for a job for the next couple of weeks and then get serious. But, you know, I'm still getting paid. So I'm like ninja mind-fucking myself. This is kind of a vacation. Yeah. I'm doing a vacay. Additionally, before we get into the serious shit, I did my taxes this year. And for those that have never done 401k shit like me, uh, the wife did a 401k, didn't have a choice, had to cash it out to um, her company had separated into separate companies. So they didn't have a 401k. Wasn't that much money, but wow, was it a penalty. So we owe a lot of money. Not going to go into my personal business. Just know that it's more than I've never had to pay on the end of a tax return. But the interesting thing is when they talk to us about next year with the tax cut, I would pay a third of what I'm paying now. 
So once again, why did the Democrats not like this tax cut? Oh, it's politics like everything else. Going to stay away from the guns today, but I do have to do a couple things. Uh, David Hogg was only accepted the University of California, Irving. But he's going to not go to college. And he's going to devote his time to political causes. That's his new thing. So Kyle Kashtev wrote back, I'll be staying in MSD next year, so can I complete high school? Write it up, CNN. <laughs> Bank of America is not going to loan to people who donate or loan money, excuse me. Okay, let me just say this in English. Sorry, it's really early in the morning. Bank of America will no longer lend money to companies that make AR-15s. So they buckled. And that is Operation Choke Point, which we already talked about, started by Obama. And it's the left's new thing. Well, we just won't have weapons manufacturers. We won't make guns in the United States. That's their plan. And they're sticking to it. So that that's where we are on the gun front. A lot of major shit happening today. And for those that are liberals, I'm very sorry. It will not be about the mother Russia. Because I just watched the circus, which was a show on Showtime. Very left-leaning. You know, Alex Wagner was on it. That fucking Fruit Loop that got... She was too left for MSNBC, for Christ's sake. And a couple other libs. And they were in Russia. Because they are so freaked out. So there's not a lot of Russia here. I'm really sorry. I don't think we're in a cold war with Russia, and I don't think Russia influenced our election because Hillary Clinton influenced her, the election by being a really shitty candidate. So let's fire for effect. Mr. Zuckerberg, I will say there are a great many Americans who I think are deeply concerned that, that Facebook and other tech companies are engaged in a pervasive pattern of bias and political censorship. Uh, there have been numerous instances with Facebook. In May of 2016, Gizmodo reported that Facebook had purposely and routinely suppressed conservative stories from trending news including stories about CPAC, including stories about Mitt Romney, including stories about the Lois Lerner IRS scandal, including stories about Glenn Beck. In addition to that, Facebook has initially shut down the Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day page, has blocked a post of a Fox News reporter, has blocked over two dozen Catholic pages, and most recently blocked Trump supporters Diamond and Silk's page with 1.2 million Facebook followers after determining their content and brand were, quote, unsafe to the community. To a great many Americans, that appears to be a pervasive pattern of political bias. Do you agree with that assessment? Senator, let me say a few things about this. First, 
I understand where that concern is coming from because Facebook and the tech industry are located in Silicon Valley, which is an extremely left-leaning place. And I, I, this is actually a concern that I have and that I try to root out in the company is making sure that we don't have um, any bias in the work that we do. And I think it is a fair concern that, um, that people would, so, would, so would me, at least me, wonder about. Let me ask this now, question. Are, are you aware of any ad or page that has been taken down from Planned Parenthood? Senator, I, I'm not, but let me just... Uh, how about moveon.org? Sorry? How about moveon.org? I'm not specifically aware of those. How about any Democratic candidate for office? I, I'm not specifically aware. That, of course, was Zuckerberg. That was a big deal this week. I didn't watch any of the cable news networks because they would have been jerking off to this stuff. But um, needless to say, they, the, the, the left is still trying to get Russia back in the news. That's all this is about. And for those that are new to the show, once again, I don't think they did any more than we do at any other election. Does that make me a Russian warmonger or Russian compatriot and a Ruski or whatever the fuck? I don't know the, the latest dig at anybody who doesn't believe the Russia hype. I, once again, they were fucking around on Facebook. If, if Facebook pushed your vote because of fake news... You're you're a dumbass. American News spends their whole time pushing your vote to Democrats. If you got pushed by some Russian troll farm shit, you weren't going to vote for Hillary anyway. So it really really doesn't matter. But during it, there was some interesting stuff. There's one he admits we're responsible for the contact, and and the way this was written, he may just have bankrupt his own com- company. Even Den- Ben Shapiro thought it. He may just open himself up to a world of legal hurt. Platforms are generally not held illegally responsible for the contact posted, but he said that he is. Edward Snowden came out and said, and they call me a criminal. You are, you fucking piece of shit. And then Obama's staffer lied about alliance with Facebook. Um, that That's a lie in itself. They're trying to cover that the analytics that Trump got to use, because he worked an arrangement to use it, wasn't allowed for Obama. But the staffer who lied was Obama himself, for Christ's sake. He even said. And then every major media outlet pundit lied, because they talked about it. And then they talked about how that was all going to be handed to Hillary Clinton. That data. The data mining they got off Facebook. So, I want to cover more... Because I don't think anything really got rectified and all this shit. Ted Cruz and a couple other GOP guys decided to take the time to do what, what I was really glad they did, which is push back against the fact that Facebook, Twitter, and every liberal platform, like Google, which we'll talk about in two seconds, um, is so left-leaning, it's almost criminal right now, and only right-leaning people get suspended, and only right-leaning people have their content, their free speech, infringed upon under this ruse of Russian interference. And lefties could say whatever the fuck they want. Remember, just a couple weeks ago, I was told to, to fucking eat a dick and swallow it down with sperm by a lefty. Because I said something was bullshit. I didn't even say anything bad. That tweet still stands. I reported that tweet. Nothing happened to that tweet. Because that person was a blue check liberal. 
So let's listen to some GOP guys actually ask some serious questions of Facebook. Well, Mr. Zuckerberg, I will say there are a great many Americans who I think are deeply concerned that, that Facebook and other tech companies are engaged in a pervasive pattern of bias and political censorship. Uh, there have been numerous instances with Facebook. In May of 2016, Gizmodo reported that Facebook had purposely and routinely suppressed conservative stories from trending news, including stories about CPAC, including stories about Mitt Romney, including stories about the Lois Lerner IRS scandal, including stories about Glenn Beck. In addition to that, Facebook has initially shut down the Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day page, has blocked a post of a Fox News reporter, has blocked over two dozen Catholic pages, and most recently blocked Trump supporters Diamond and Silk's page with 1.2 million Facebook followers after determining their content and brand were, quote, unsafe to the community. To a great many Americans, that appears to be a pervasive pattern of political bias. Do you agree with that assessment? Senator, let me say a few things about this. First, I understand where that concern is coming from because Facebook and the tech industry are located in Silicon Valley, which is an extremely left-leaning place. And I, I, this is actually a concern that I have and that I try to root out in the company is making sure that we don't have um, any bias in the work that we do. And I think it is a fair concern that, um, that people would, so, would, so let would me, at least let wonder me, about. Let me ask this now, question. Are, are you aware of any ad or page that has been taken down from Planned Parenthood? Senator, I, I'm not, but let me just... Uh, how about moveon.org? Sorry? How about moveon.org? I'm not specifically aware of those. How about things. any Democratic candidate for office? I, I'm not specifically aware. I worry about a world where when you go from violent groups to hate speech in a hurry, in one of your responses to one of the opening questions, um, you may decide, or Facebook may decide, it needs to police a whole bunch of speech um, that I think America might be better off not having policed by one company that has a really big and powerful platform. Can you define hate speech? Senator, I think that this is a really hard question, and I think it's one of the reasons why we struggle with it. There are certain definitions that, that we that we have around, um, you know, calling for, for violence or... Um, Let's just agree on that. If somebody's calling yeah. for violence, we, that shouldn't be there. I'm worried about the psychological categories around speech. You, you used language of safety and protection earlier. We see this happening on college campuses all across the country. It's dangerous. 40% of Americans under age 35 tell pollsters they think the First Amendment is dangerous because you might use your freedom to say something that hurts somebody else's feelings. Guess what? There are some really passionately held views about the abortion issue on this panel today. Can you imagine a world uh, where you might decide that pro-lifers are prohibited from speaking about their abortion views on your content, on your platform? I certainly would not want that to be the case. But it, it might really be unsettling to people who've had an abortion to have an open debate about that, wouldn't it? It might be, but I don't think that that would, uh, would fit any of the definitions of, of, of what we have. But I do generally agree with the point that you're making, which is as, we sh as we're able to technologically shift towards especially having AI proactively look at content, I think that that's going to create massive questions for society about what obligations we want to require companies to, to fulfill. 
And, and I do think that that's a question that uh, we need to struggle with as a country because I know other countries are, and they're putting laws in place. And I, I think that America needs to uh, figure out and create the set of principles that we want American companies to operate under. Thanks. I, I wouldn't want you to leave here today and think there's sort of a unified view in the Congress that you should be moving toward policing more and more and more speech. I think violence has no place on your platform. Uh, sex traffickers and human traffickers have no place on your platform. But vigorous debates, adults need to engage in vigorous debates. So here's my rant about Google, which is very similar to the Facebook, Twitter, all this other crap. I have a Pixel 2 phone, and I have marked everything you could possibly have to shut off any news reports. I don't have cards activated. I've shut off Google from actually sending me notifications. I have shut off every news agency that is uber liberal. I have shut off subjects like Russia, Mueller, guns, peanuts, fucking dicks. It doesn't matter. I've shut it off. Yet every morning, my phone sends me an anti-Trump article. They will be from one of the agencies I said I don't want news from. And it'll be on my phone every day. I've even shut those notifications off. So I decided last week, when I was in a really bad mood, to write three complaints to Google. I went to a forum for Android. I posted on there. Um, a civilian one, it wasn't associated with, it was called Android Central. The amount of people that agreed with me was unbelievable. Uh, the media wouldn't like to see that because they all said they've tried and they can't. It just annoys the shit out of them. I sent it through a Google interface. I sent an email to Google and then I sent it to uh, a Google website, the Google Play itself. So three different complaints. I never got a response and I still get anti-Trump articles. Even though I've asked not to. I even insinuated in there that I've spent a lot of money at Google. I have a Google tablet. I had a Google Nexus phone. Then I had the next Nexus phone. My wife had a Pixel. Then I have a Pixel 2. We have nothing but Google products. But I, as a consumer, don't want their liberal slant. And they keep sending it to me. Because they don't give a fuck. So, this Facebook thing, the reason why I don't take it seriously, and it's not because I'm a Russian stooge. I mean, my God, right now I couldn't run for office because I am Russian-German on, on my Reed side that somebody was fucking during World War II or World War I and they weren't supposed to be. Um, so that would definitely be a disqualifier if you were part Russian or you, you immigrated to the United States from Russia. That would be just all sorts of bad. But it, it's a farce. This whole thing's a farce. If somebody got pushed because of a Facebook thing or a Twitter thing, you're wishy-washy to begin with. It was an ugly election. But this is the type of rhetoric and this is the type of scare, you know, fear-mongering that we have in our country right now from a party and a media complex that hates Trump. Whatever they can get in the news to discredit him, they will do it. 
If it's not the Mueller investigation, it's the Rust investigation. If it's not the Russian investigation, it's the Facebook investigation. If it's not the Facebook investigation, it's another investigation. They just want to discredit a president. They're very upset they lost. The media is very butthurt that they lost. And they're pushing towards this propaganda level of everything here. I mean, liberals have left Facebook because Facebook didn't protect the election. Liberals have not left Hillary Clinton, who blew the election. She didn't go to the states she was supposed to go to. She would have gone to Wisconsin, Michigan, and actually gone, not not actually believe she was just going to win because there's a bunch of Democrats and they always vote blue. She'd be the President of the United States, but she didn't. If she would have ran on a fucking platform other than he's the devil and I'm Barack Obama part due, she would have won. It was a close election. But she didn't do those things. She didn't have a platform. She was more of the same. And Americans in the Rust Belt, the middle of the country, in the South, not on the coast, don't vote just because you like certain demographics. They vote for, hey, you know, what's going to improve in my life? How about me? I'm sorry. I'm white, and I know I'm supposed to be a loser and pay reparations and do shit for people that used to own slaves, even though it had nothing to do with me or any of my relatives. But I'm a bad person because I'm white. But lately, the economy has kind of sucked. Lately, the only thing that actually got improved is business, because that's all they bailed out, and Chevy cars. That's all that's been improved. And they didn't vote for her. They voted for change. So I think this is just a farce. And it's based on the fact that every fucking day, on every fucking network... You are forced state media for the Democratic Party. If we had an investigation on the state media for the Democratic Party, I'd be covering that and I'd be very serious. Because that is propaganda. But some Russian trolls on Facebook doing some fake news. Yeah, that doesn't really, doesn't raise my ire. Because there's fake news all the time from the left. We've covered on this show in the first six months of this presidency all the lies and deceit CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, PBS did fake stories. They even started with the 19 intel committees or intel agencies and there's only seven. So that was a fucking lie and you ran with that shit every day. You knew it was wrong but you didn't care because you knew 19 sounded better than seven. It sounded really good. So, that started our week, and then this happened. Syria. I had a soundbite of the rocket's red glare, but if we remember, it was predicated by Trump saying, we're going to send missiles, then Russia saying, we're going to shoot down those missiles, and then him saying, oh, they're coming anyway, and them saying, why are you telling what we're going to do, even though Obama could do it, we didn't say a word, but you said that was bad, so we're going to tic-tac you because we hate you. And listen to the media coverage 
Well, in fact, you know, let's start this. Let's listen to Democrats say there was no chemicals. Dozens of people reportedly killed, including at least 10 children, hundreds of others injured, and these numbers are very preliminary. What caused this? Right now, it's seen as a gas or chemical attack. Do you think ultimately that President Obama is the big winner here? He is a big, big winner in my estimation. It turns out we're getting chemical weapons out of Syria without having initiated a strike. So what else are you talking about? We've got the chemical weapons. We've got the, we're getting the chemical weapons out of Syria. Well, uh, Chris, all you have to do is look at the fact that today, the final 8% of chemical weapons were taken out of Syria. We should commend the administration for the result that they got. The removal of chemical weapons out of Syria is a substantial accomplishment. We certainly worked with them in Syria to bring all the chemical weapons out of Syria. We struck a deal where we got 100% of the chemical weapons out. 100% of the declared chemical weapons out of Syria. We kept chemical weapons or got chemical weapons out of the air. We got, as you know, last year all the chemical weapons out of Syria. Uh, no small feat. Syria eliminating its chemical weapons and ultimately having them destroyed by the international community. Syria would still have a, a declared chemical weapons stockpile. Right now they don't. Right now Bashar al-Assad does not have a declared chemical weapons stockpile. We removed that declared chemical weapons stockpile and we destroyed that declared chemical weapons stockpile, which means that Bashar al-Assad can't use those chemical weapons against his own people. And the purpose of the strike was to get the chemical weapons out of Syria. Weapons of mass destruction are taken out of the zone of conflict. And thank God we did that. We are making real progress in Iraq and Syria. And I mean real progress. Russia can help us, and it is right now. Russia has helped bring about the Iran nuclear agreement. Russia helped get the chemical weapons out of Syria. The destruction of the Syrian chemical weapons stockpile. I would have, I think, made a bigger mistake if I had said, yeah, chemical weapons, uh, that doesn't really change my calculus. Yeah. Uh, on July 20th, 2014, John Kerry was carted out on the Sunday shows. In Syria, we struck a deal where we got 100% of the chemical weapons out. You heard Obama say it. You heard everybody. Now you hear Trump the Pentagon says strikes crippled Syria's chemical weapons sites. U.S. ships and submarines launched cruise missiles. B-1 bombers launched 19 JASM ER cruise missiles. Of the U.S. ships, cruiser Monterey fired 30 Tomahawks. Destroyer Higgins and Laboon fired 23 and 7, respectively. And the attack submarine John Warner fired 6. The French frigate Lugadoc fired three cruise missiles with French and British aircraft firing 17 more. Attack was roughly double the size of the U.S. strike a year ago on Syrian Air Base, which was also a response to a chemical attack. Yet you've not heard anybody talk about, oh, wait a minute. The previous administration, who was the anointed one, God had put Barack Obama as our president, and he should have got a third term. He should have been made supreme ruler of the United States. Because he was so enlightened, they they said there are no chemical weapons there. But you did hear a lot of insinuations like Rachel Maddow. Uh, as we follow the news in these incredible days that we've been having recently in our country, uh, it is worth considering on a night like tonight that there are... Um, there are national security consequences to having a presidency that is as chaotic 
as Mr. Trump's presidency, a presidency that is as consumed by scandal and criminal intrigue as his presidency is, um, it has national security consequences. When the president orders missile strikes on Syria on a night like tonight, the strategic effect of that strike will be assessed by both our allies and our enemies. Other countries and entities involved in the fight in Syria or considering their role in Syria are going to try to figure out how they're going to react to this U.S. strike. It will affect those other countries' view of this strike. It will affect their reaction to it. It will therefore affect the utility of this military strike. If the President of the United States is believed to have issued the order to launch this strike tonight, even in part because people think he wanted to distract from a catastrophic domestic scandal that is blowing up at home at the same time. The perception that the President may have ordered these strikes, in part because of scandal, will affect the impact and the effectiveness of these military strikes. Unavoidably. And even if the tail is not wagging the dog, even if you give the president every benefit of the doubt, even if his calculations about whether to launch this action against Syria tonight was taken with absolutely no regard for, for what else is going on in the president's life right now, what else is going on in the president's life right now unavoidably creates a real perception around the globe that that may have been part of the motivation both for what he did for, and particularly for, for when he did it. Now, remember, it was precursored by last week, the media dogging him for this. Just last week, the president said he wanted to pull American troops out of Syria soon. I want to get out. I want to bring our troops back home. But Senator John McCain said the president had, quote, signaled to the world that the United States would prematurely withdraw from Syria, saying Assad was emboldened by American inaction. Sir, didn't the president, by saying that he wants to get out of Syria, essentially give a green light to Assad to do this, as John McCain has suggested? Look, we're still there. And I think that it is outrageous to say that the president of the United States greenlit uh, something as atrocious as the actions that have taken place over the last several days. The White House dismissing critics who point to these remarks from the president last week. We'll be coming out of Syria like very soon. Some, like Republican Senator John McCain, worry that emboldened Assad. Now, a president reluctant to keep the U.S. military involved perhaps perceives no choice. Hallie Jackson, NBC News, the White House. President Trump is holding a dinner meeting this evening with his top military advisors. They are considering a response to the apparent chemical attack against civilians in Syria by the Assad regime. The president said a decision could come by the end of the day. Both he and the White House ambassador Nikki Haley at the United Nations condemned the Syrian attack. It was an atrocious attack. It was horrible. You don't see Things like that, as bad as the news is around the world, you just don't see those images. The Russian regime, whose hands are all covered in the blood of Syrian children, cannot be ashamed by pictures of its victims. All right, now to the attack that led to all of this. Well, let's make sure we understand. I'm no Trump guy, but sweet Jesus, man. So last week, it's his fault they used chemical weapons because he said he was going to get out and what the vacuum was going to be created and all that shit, even though I never heard that for Obama. And this week, he's only bombing now 
because he's trying to deflect from Mueller. Makes me want to say Bueller, Bueller, Ferris, Bueller. Folks, do you hear what you say? It would have made more sense to say, oh, we only, um, he only attacked because we criticized him. But as a normal American, what do I see? I just see you people hate him. You fucking hate him. So it doesn't matter what he does. You're going to criticize. You're going to bash. And if he's such a Russian stooge, why the fuck did he attack shit that actually Russia is for Assad? I heard somebody say this week, and they're dead right, he could bomb Moscow. Level it with nuclear bombs. You would still be on your Russian stick. He only did that because uh, Putin wasn't there that day. I mean, it's fucking comedic. So he does an attack because he used chemical weapons. Your president said that would be a red line and did nothing about chemical weapons. Then lied and said, oh yeah, all the chemical weapons are out. And Trump's still a bad guy. Got it. Which is all playing in the real world while the media's on this guy. Almost a year has passed since James Comey was fired by President Trump. Since then, he's come to some stark conclusions about the use of power and moral leadership. You write that President Trump is unethical, untethered to the truth. Is Donald Trump unfit to be president? Yes. But not in the way I often hear people talk about it. I don't buy the stuff about him being mentally incompetent or early stages of dementia. He strikes me as a person of above average intelligence who's tracking conversations and knows what's going on. I don't think he's medically unfit to be president. I think he's morally unfit to be president. If you're right, what is the remedy? Should Donald Trump be impeached? Impeachment is a is a question of law and fact and politics. So you're a citizen. You have a judgment. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll give you a strange answer. I hope not. Because I think impeaching and removing Donald Trump from office would let the American people off the hook and have something happen indirectly that I believe they're duty-bound to do directly. People in this country need to stand up and go to the voting booth and vote their values. And so impeachment, in a way, would short-circuit that. Yeah, there's an old lady saying they were cream. Man, she makes me cream in my jeans. And that's what this week was. Liberals creaming in their jeans. I know it's just vulgar as fuck, but it's really funny. And just jerking off to this shit. But I want us to make sure we're grounded, boys and girls, because as a normal American in these flyover states, I'm a dumbass. I'm everything wrong in the world because I'm a white man, and I'm 50. So I'm a 50-year-old white man, unemployed. Yeah, I'm unemployed, 50-year-old white man, loser, piece of shit. Do we remember what the media and the Dems thought of Comey? Here's a refresher. Democrats have been very critical of James Comey, and many of us did call for his resignation. Well, I was appalled by what Director Comey did. Comey acted in an outrageous way. He made a mistake. Maybe he's not in the right job. Howard Dean, former Democratic candidate for president, says, quote, he may have destroyed the credibility of the FBI forever. This was a very serious error in judgment. The president ought to fire Comey immediately, and he ought to initiate an investigation. What he did was unprecedented and outrageous. 
damage the institution of law enforcement in this country? The lowest moment in the history of the FBI. I found it hard to believe that Comey, who I thought had some degree of integrity, would do this. All I can tell you is the FBI director has no credibility. James Comey is getting horrible advice. He is interfering in this election. I don't understand what the guy's doing, but just from pure political point of view, it is a nightmare for the Clinton administration, the Clinton campaign. I know why they're upset. They should be. I think what Jim Comey did was to throw overboard uh, Justice Department procedures because of political reasons, his own internal politics because of the hatred for Hillary Clinton within the FBI. This is uh, just the worst possible situation for the FBI, for the country, for Hillary Clinton, certainly. Why throw that stink bomb in the middle of this, you know, at the very end of the campaign? I think that's, that's a real big problem. It does seem like uh, we have a problem with the FBI director. Comey has said high-profile investigations make him feel pressure to do things quickly and do it well. Tonight, his critics are wondering if he has failed on both counts. Howard Dean, former Democratic candidate for president, says, quote, he may have destroyed the credibility of the FBI forever, put himself on the same side as Putin. I think that was a horrendous decision on his part and one that he should and probably does regret. It's clear that his disclosure and the spate of now competing, one might even say warring FBI leaks that have followed, have raised serious questions about the FBI's integrity and impartiality. The FBI director of the United States is allowing himself to be interjected into this political campaign. Unprecedented. It sets a precedent. It's a bad precedent. We have never seen this before. Nope. Do you think Comey has put the finger on the scale for Donald Trump? It just makes the FBI look like a like a wing of the Republican Party. I don't understand what Comey's doing. That's my main thought about all this. But now that his book's back, oh my God. Some facts for you. Uh, Section 2.4 of FBI's pre-publication review manual covers prohibited disclosures. FBI's employees shall not disclose information that relates to the substantive merits of any ongoing or open investigation. Yeah, he just did that. Ben Shapiro, Comey really got a top-notch scam going here. He cost Hillary the election, and now he's getting all her voters to fawn over him. Pretty wild. Excerpts from the book. It's entirely possible that because I was making decisions in an environment where Hillary Clinton was sure to be the next president, my concern about making her an illegitimate president by concealing the restarted investigation bore greater weight than it would have if the election appeared closer if Donald Trump were ahead in the polls. But I don't know. James Assad. The thing is, he's implicitly admitting that he was weighing factors other than the meaning of the law when he made his decision. This isn't really as exculpatory for anyone as some people seems to think it is. If anything, it shows that Comey calculus was political. So the director of the FBI was making law enforcement decisions based on polls. There was even a Vox writer. The reason Vox writer Manning Glaze's ire towards Comey in his April 13 article is that Comey admitted in his book that he delivered the polls, he believed the polls that predicted Hillary Clinton would win. So he figured his reopening of the probe under email shortly before the election would have no effect on the outcome. Inglisi also admitted that he also believed Hillary was certain to win and provided a link to the November 7, 2016 article. An upset Yaglisi reveals the damning position, and James Comey admits that he read of the polls. In a new book, A Higher Loyalty, former FBI Director James Comey admitted that most observers had inferred that the overwhelming conventional wisdom of Hillary Clinton going to win the election day played a role in his faithful decision to refocus the campaign on the email matter in late October. 
Um, and he just read what he did. Inglisi then admits that extreme hubris before the election led almost all liberals to believe that Hillary's election was a slam dunk. And for our entertainment, he even provided a link to his own hubris. This is obviously a mistake that a lot of people made. Many polling-based models of the election show Clinton with a 90% or greater overwhelming chance of winning. The main exception was Nate Silver, which showed her at 65%. And even some of us who weighed the debate and decided Silver's statistical modeling was superior talked ourselves into the idea that he was wrong anyway due to Barack Obama's high approval rating. Yeah. But the rest of the media, Comey is a god. This is a CNN special report. Comey speaks out. Just moments ago, we heard fired FBI Director James Comey Unleash on President Trump, calling him morally unfit to be president, a stain on the people who work for him, and a liar who treats women like pieces of meat. Really just a jarring critique of a sitting president. Welcome to our viewers here in the United States and around the world. I'm Jim Shuda. And I'm Pamela Brown. In Comey's first TV interview since he was fired, he says there is, quote, some evidence of obstruction of justice by the president when Mr. Trump asked him, to let go of his investigation of former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, and he suggests it's possible that Mr. Trump has been compromised by the Russians. Needless to say, there is a lot to discuss this evening following uh, the interview with James Comey on ABC. Let's get right to our correspondents, analysts, and political commentators. And, Dana, I'm going to go to you first on this because, look, we've been waiting for this interview to happen. Finally, James Comey is speaking out. This is the man who used to be the head of the FBI, one of the highest offices in the government, calling the president of the United States morally unfit. Your reaction? Look, I mean, this is something that in any other time would be seismic. And I think even in this time where it's easy to kind of lose sight of, uh, of, of things that are enormous, enormously out of bounds and enormously unusual, for an FBI director... Even though he was fired and he has, you know, he certainly feels a, a sense, he says, of higher loyalty, but some retribution, mm-hmm. let's face it, um, to say the things that he did about a sitting president of the United States is absolutely extraordinary. Sir, what about the content of the president's attacks on uh, Jim Comey, your, your attacks on Jim Comey? Isn't all of that a bit unbecoming of... Uh, the presidency of, of this White House to go after him in such a personal way like that? Uh, I think it's a slime ball and a liar and a leaker. I think it's unbecoming for the person that is supposed to be the top law enforcement official in the United States, the person that is supposed to protect the people of this country, uh, to lie and leak classified information, uh, certainly to falsify documents. I think that's a very big problem. And somebody who has created this problem for himself, uh, I didn't encourage Jim Cohn me to go out and do a PR campaign. Congress has asked Jim Comey to come and testify multiple times of which he's denied being able to do, yet he found time to sit down with George Stephanopoulos for five hours. I think if anybody has created this problem, it's Jim Comey and he should be the one held responsible. Because it's Friday. Well, it's Friday, yeah. And you probably and you'd probably get really upset. Not only no, that no, if I did. No, no, no. no, but you've probably seen this tweet is it was a tweet that you uh, posted uh, before the election uh, in 2016 when you're attacking FBI agents because you're under criminal investigation you're, you're losing yeah. 
mean, what do you make of that now? I mean, isn't the that rank and file FBI are some of the greatest people in this country? Uh, we've repeated that time and time again, and certainly have the full support of this administration. I think that we've been very clear, though, how we feel about some of the leadership at the FBI, particularly James Comey. Well, when you go after, when you go after Sorry. Comey, and I did give you two, Jim. Mueller, I'm going to keep you're losing. Comey claims that that dinner, President Trump told him, "I need loyalty." I expect loyalty. In his book, Comey writes, he thought to himself, the demand was like Sammy the Bull's Cosa Nostra induction ceremony. That dinner was just one week after the inauguration. A few months later, Comey was gone, fired by the president. In his book, Comey describes an emotional call he received shortly after from John Kelly, then Homeland Security Secretary, now White House Chief of Staff. Comey says Kelly told him he intended to quit in protest because he didn't want to work for dishonorable people who would treat someone like Comey in such a manner. Comey writes, "I urge Kelly not to do that, arguing that the country needed principled people around this president, especially this president." Comey writes about the Trump team. They were about to lead a country that had been attacked by a foreign adversary, yet they had no questions about what the future Russian threat might be. Instead, Comey writes they launched into a strategy session about how to spin what we just told them to the public. Comey says the president focused on one of the most salacious allegations in the dossier that he'd had a sexual encounter in a Moscow hotel room. Comey writes Trump strongly denied the allegations, asking rhetorically, "I assumed whether he seemed like a guy who needed the service of prostitutes." In his explosive, soon-to-be-released book, former FBI Director James Comey calls the president untethered to the truth, unethical, ego-driven, and even compared him to famed mob hitman Sammy the Bull. According to reports of excerpts not confirmed by NBC News, the book A Higher Loyalty gives new details about interactions Comey had with the president, including that now infamous dinner where Comey says Mr. Trump demanded his loyalty. Comey writing, the president said, "Quote: I need loyalty." Loyalty. I expect loyalty. Comey was pressed on Capitol Hill about the dinner. Taking his shots, fired FBI Director James Comey's book leaks overnight, and it's a bombshell. Calling the president a liar, comparing him to a mob boss, and saying his administration is a forest fire. This morning, we have a first look inside the pages. Let's talk about those bombshells from former FBI Director James Comey's upcoming book. It's on everything from the scandals surrounding the Trump administration to the president's relationship. With the truth, James Comey delivering a scathing indictment of President Trump, detailing how Comey says the president lives in a cocoon of alternative reality, describing him as a congenital liar, devoid of human emotion, and driven by personal ego. At the White House this morning, new fallout from a bombshell book. Former FBI Director James Comey unloading in a blistering takedown of President Trump. The nation's former top law enforcement officer compares President Trump to notorious mobster Sammy the Bull. Explaining how his interactions with the president gave him flashbacks to my earlier career as a prosecutor against the mob. It is like Charleston Houston in the Ten Commandments. Comey has come down with this book. It is written. It is so. But then there's this online. CNN reveals. What some FBI sources think about Comey's book, and it's not good. On Friday, CNN security correspondent James Gangle told host Wolf Blitzer that FBI sources with whom she has spoken are not happy about former Comey, Director Comey's book because they believe it crossed the line of professionalism. See, speaking about the interview Comey gave to ABC News, I think it's astonishing the one thing 
an FBI director or former FBI director can do is dodge a question. So when you see him repeatedly repeat certain words that are no questions salacious, I'm just stunned that he went that far. Gengel continued that said, I've talked to quite a few former FBI high-ranking sources. They're not happy about us because they feel it crossed the line of professionalism. They're worried about their reputation. They've been under attack. The organization has been under attack. Gengel said that sources to whom she spoke think Comey is further damaging the FBI's reputation. Yeah. So far, for conservatives, the only thing I found was on the back, quotes are always on books of what people think about it. Here are some quotes. The FBI director, true higher loyalty is to self-righteous definition of what he's best for himself. Lanny Davis. A feast of contradiction and self-serving showmanship. Eli Lake. Comey is the slickest political player, the ultimate politician. Charles Blow. The real James Comey has emerged. Gary Abernathy, Washington Post. Self-serving narcissistic. James Gagliano. Lost the respect of a lot of agents. Bobby Charcon. Practically wrecked our political system with his self-obsessed handling of the Clinton case. John Podurst. But during this, a more damning soundbite came back. And it pretty much sums up the eight years we lived through with Obama. From the IRS, to the GSA, to Fast and Furious, to Benghazi. If you are conservative, you can die on a roof in Libya. We don't give a fuck about you. We only care about midget, transgender, people of color. Listen to this lady who met Bill Clinton on a tarmac. And if it wasn't for a local news, we never would have known. And listen to her decision-making process and what it was influenced by. The timing of the of the Clinton investigation in the middle of a presidential election. I know that shouldn't color any decisions you make, but you certainly weren't ignorant of it, were you? Well, you, it's all around you. You know, it's, it's uh, my favorite question from reporters when they would say, when are you going to wrap this up? Uh, was, and they would also add, because she's running for president, you know. And um, uh, it's, it's part of the context of it, but it cannot figure into the decisions that you make. And this is where we take a pause in the show and go back to Facebook and Russia. D- do you see why I don't think it's that serious? That is an attorney general saying she's having conversations with reporters that are pressuring her to wrap up a goddamn investigation, which we've already seen was an investigation. The decision on what they were going to do with Hillary Clinton was already resolved prior to even knowing anything about it. We have an FBI director who is now writing political books. And tell me once again why Russia did so much to our election. I don't grasp. Since 2012, we were told Hillary Clinton's going to be president. If you want to go attack something, if you want to do an investigation on something... Do investigation on democratic hubris. You believed you would there would never be a conservative president again. That's what you believed. Your media arm of the DNC, which is our mainstream media, 
said that repeatedly from 2012 till 2016. We never have a GOP president ever. Demographics have flipped in our country, and white people or the white people racist party can't win. That pretty much surmises what they say. The Nazis over there, the KKK members, the white supremacists. There's been a PR fucking propaganda influencing on our election since I've been alive. And it's by the mainstream media and the Democrats who are always doing videos of mom getting thrown off the goddamn cliff. Black people being attacked by cops. No, Russia didn't influence this. The American people for the first time stood up and said, shut the fuck up. We're going to vote for who the fuck we want to vote for. And they voted for this guy because you put up that girl. That's all it is. You put up that lying pantsuit wearing fucking piece of shit. And now you're butthurt. And you're destroying our country. You're influencing the world politics on a level that's scary. Because, you know, if you watch the circus like I did this morning for doing this podcast, oh, they think there's a war coming. They think Russia is so involved in our country that they were in Russia talking to the press secretary, basically disparaging Russia. Can this Cold War go to a hot war? It's like you almost want a war, which is crazy. Let's move off this shit. Conservative firing in Atlantic, uh, we covered the last podcast, and it's still big. And, and I just, you know, want to touch once again, some of the things Tanishi Coates and Jessica Valentine have actually said. All right. Is Coates callous and violent? He has written that he can see no difference between police officers shot a Howard University student and the first responders of 9-11. They were not human to me, black, white, or whatever. They were menaces of nature. They were fire, the comet, the storm with which no justification shattered my body. Coates is also not above making inflammatory claims in a podcast he did with Ezra Klein. I asked him to describe the world in which justice has been done in, which equality has been achieved, and which hope was merited. We have a 20 to 1 wealth gap, Coates replied. Every nickel of wealth the average black family has, the average white family has a dollar. What is, the, what is the world in which that wealth gap is closed? What happens? What makes it possible? What does that look like? What is the process? Even imagining that world, Coates makes ample space for tragedy when he tries to describe the events that would erase America's wealth gap that would see the end of white supremacy. His thoughts flicker to the French Revolution, to the executions and terror. It's very easy for me to see myself being contemporary with processes that might make for an equal world more equally, and maybe the complete abolition of race as a construct, and being horrified by the process, maybe even attacking the process. I think these things don't tend to happen peacefully. More bluntly, after the riots in Ferguson, Missouri, he wrote about what he thinks polite political conversation does not allow. We clearly cannot be said is that violence and nonviolence are tools and that violence like nonviolence sometimes works. That was not an intemperate tweet either. It was printed, even pulled quote by The Atlantic. Coates writes this way is in a mode of think not dissimilar to that of alt-rightists like Richard Spencer. And Atlantic celebrates its righteous anger. 
But Goldberg, the spoon-banging activist to whom he was cravenly surrendered, apparently finds similar anger from Williamson, who was adopted shortly before the Roe v. Wade decision, over the snuffing out of innocent human life beyond the bounds of acceptable public discourse. Incidentally, Coates himself is a fan of Williamson's writing. In yet another podcast, remarks, if you can write, I will always look at what you're doing, because at the very least, I can study some shit and figure out maybe there's something for me in there. If I... Even if I hate what you're saying, or I think you're dead wrong. So first responders were even evil menaces. And that's okay at the Atlantic. But saying that abortion should be a crime is wrong. Interesting. To Joanne Reen in DACA, government, Governor Cuomo allocates $18.5 million to fight gang Joy Reid called Phantom Boogeyman. He is fighting MS-13, and these are her tweets. This is a major news network. She has her own show, and she said this. We read it on the show. MS-13, which most Americans who don't mainline Fox News likely never heard of, has been mentioned tonight more than Russia. Actually, the Russia has been has not been mentioned at all. MS-13 on the new Black Panthers, a phantom boogeyman Trumpism, will fear abjectly without ever actually encountering any. And then this week, New York Times, Cuomo announces $18.5 million to fight MS-13 on Long Island. The money will support anti-gang initiatives by local law enforcement as well as after-school programs and youth job training attended to discourage teens from joining a gang. The Salvadorian MS-13 street gang has been blamed for 25 killings on Long Island in the past two years. That's a boogeyman. That's a phantom. It's all bullshit. And she gets to talk every weekend because she's black. So tell me once again what's wrong with our country. That we're all fucking racist. A crazy ass black lady gets her own TV show. It's okie dokie. Can say whatever she wants. A crazy ass black dude can sit and say that the first responders are evil fucking people. And that he didn't really give a fuck about 9-11 because we had it coming because we're white. But a dude can't go on, our, on any news source and say abortion should be illegal. And people should go to jail for it. And mockingly say eh, maybe the mother should hang. As a joke. I heard the podcast. It was a joke. He wasn't serious. So we close our fire effect with our ever-present media hate of Christians. There's John Oliver and Mar dogging Christians. And then we'll do a music break and go into our tweets of the day. Last week, we filed paperwork in New York to create a new nonprofit, Our Lady of Choosing Choice, to set up our own crisis pregnancy centre. So, where will our clinic be? That depends. Where are you right now? Because our clinic has wheels and we will travel. Behold! Behold our new mobile crisis pregnancy centre! Look at it! Behold the rolling thunder! And look, you know, you know that there is absolutely no way that I would open this alone, right? Well, howdy there! Howdy there! Howdy there, Mawanda Joe! Howdy there to you! Praise be, praise be, and welcome to the Christmas 
Welcome to Vamped Parenthood. Oh, thank you so much. Now, now in this van, we are allowed to tell women whatever dubious information comes into our heads. Isn't that right, my wonder? That's right, my John. Mm. I tell women if they get an abortion, it'll make a ghost baby that'll haunt her hoo-ha forever. Ooh. Ooh, that, that is spooky. Uh, what, what else do you say, Wanda? Well, getting an abortion turns your breast milk into kombucha. Ew, that's weird. It is weird. One more fact for the people at home, Wanda. After an abortion, your vagina seals shut like an Egyptian tomb. Wow, that's a striking image. These are all things that we can say. Nero, forget getting into heaven. Jesus has to tell us how to get those abs. Talk about CrossFit. <laughs> I say talk about CrossFit. Keep it in my pocket 
off without me. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. of the day. Wait! Did Twitter CEO just share a post calling for civil war, wiping out the GOP? And how should we be like California? Well, if there were any lingering doubts about Twitter perceived bias against conservatives, look no further than CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted out la- late last night. Apparently, a good read is a post co-written by a Center for American Progress senior fellow that calls for civil war. The destruction of the GOP and the adoption of how California runs everything from sea to shining sea. Yeah, bipartisanship is dead, so mob rule is what's needed. Neon taser. Totally not worried that Jack Dorsey is sharing articles about how bipartisanship is dead, that the right must be mercilessly crushed forever. Another tweeter. Nothing alarming about social media mogul advocating to eliminate entire side. Another one. According to this tweet, Big Tech hopes the left wins the next civil war and turns the whole country into California. No bias. This is actually from that article. Once again, I did get it from a tweet. Trump is doing exactly what America needs him to do right now. He's becoming increasingly conservative and outrageous by the day. Trump could have come into office with a genuinely new agenda that could have helped working people. Instead, he has spent the past year becoming a character of all things conservative, and in that meantime has alienated most of America and certainly all the growing political constituents of the 21st century, which is lefties. He is turning the Republican brand toxic for millennials, women, Latinos, people of color, college-educated people, urban centers, the tech industry, and economic power houses of the coast, to name a few. The Republican Party is playing their part perfectly, too. They completely fell for the Trump trap, and that's exactly what America needed them to do. Now the entire Republican Party and the entire conservative movement that has controlled it for the past four decades is fully positioned for the final takedown that will cast them out for a long period of time in the political wilderness. They deserve it. America is desperate for a functioning political supermajority that can break out of our political stasis and boldly move ahead and take our many 21st century challenges. The nation can't take much more of our one-step-forward, one-step-back politics and get little done despite the need for massive changes. Enthusiasm is surely with the Democrats, and they could do well in 2018, but Democrats have tons of candidates and division among the left. Civil wars erupt during primaries can happen, and Texas has already has, showing the goal between the establishment and progressives wing of the party is wide and wounds are still raw. It's quite possible the left fumbles the ball at the goal line come election day. We're over 200 days away from the midterms. I take this with a grain of salt, but say, do you really, but you do read the whole piece and blood pressure goes to the roof. I direct you to Kurt Schilster. And that was them getting pissed because he wrote an article that the left would lose it. It's not troublesome that a CEO of a major company that actually does influence more Americans than Facebook 
thinks we should have a civil war and the right should be put to death. Got it. But our really best thing was guns, unfortunately. One of them, Bill de Blasio, has been all anti-gun. Listen to this tidbit. De Blasio's criminal justice deputy arrested for having a loaded, unmarked handgun. Hmm. Yeah. But our tweets of the day come from this Wahoo. I got it from Sean Davis. And his tweet, are you a mildly tech-literate politico horrified by the level of ignorance demonstrated by lawmakers gearing up to regulate online technology, technology they don't even begin to grasp? Cool. Now you have a tiny glimpse of the day in the life of a gun owner. This lady is an editor for HuffPo. Talia Lovin. They're tubes that shoot people, Sean. You put little metal bits in the tube, and they go fast to destroy people and things. It's not complicated. That's about as far as anti-gun people know about guns. Thus, we don't take them seriously. But, yeah, that's our tweet of the day. The day! Hate tweets, educated hillbilly. Somebody died, dude. Jesus. You know why he said that? Torre, is Trump Tower literally burning a symbol for the White House being a total figurative dumpster fire? David Crosby, oh boy, burn baby, burn because of Trump Tower. He deleted, uh, hey, he deleted tweet was yours regarding Trump Tower? David Crosby? Yes, Jeffrey. Jeffrey Gutterman. There is a fire in Trump Tower. I hope everyone is safe, but I'm excited. I got excited when I heard there was a fire at Trump Tower while also hoping there was no injuries. So what? I'm human. These Trump supporters need to get a grip. I am less excited now, but still glad, hoping there's major damage. He's a psychologist. Does that make you think for a second that maybe he needs a psychologist? He ended up actually apologizing, but there was way too many of them. There was hundreds. Every time something with Trump's name on it burns, they're like, yeah! It's not healthy. Josh Whedon tweets about Trump dying, gets suspended, complains. Last week, acclaimed Avenger director Josh Whedon his hate and sadness being just too exhausting for him to keep it up, tweeted out his bleeding heartfelt wishes that President Trump would die, Don, just quietly die. Donald Trump is killing the country, some of it quickly, some slowly, but he spoils and destroys everything he touches. He emboldens monsters wielding guns, governmental power, or just smug doublespeak, or Russia. My hate and sadness are exhausting. Die, Don, just quietly die. For the death wish, Whedon, whose Twitter feed has become increasingly characterized by such hysterical, partisan, apocalyptic vitriol, was slapped on the wrist by Twitter and his account briefly suspended, as opposed to permanently suspended like libertarian comedian Owen Benjamin. But no worries, Whedon had been restored and he quickly took to the social media platform to be a victim. Well, I would just put in Twitter suspension, but luckily there was also a jock, a weird girl, a socialite, and a rebel, and it turned out we're all the same or something. Anyway, they all hooked up, and I had to write this tweet, so I'm not sure Trump's still killing the country, though LOL, Whedon wrote on Sunday. 
Whedon's Breakfast Club reference didn't seem to resonate with many folks online, but his deteriorated declaration that Trump is somehow still killing the country no doubt helped further endear him to his fellow Hollywood celebrities who must be getting exhausted patting themselves on the back for their brave repetition of their shared sentiments for Trump to die. That is the President of the United States. There'll be no Secret Service. Hmm. Michael Toodle, you hate and slander every woman that is high up in the administration. It's like you don't care about women, just liberal women. You're an idiot. Chelsea Handler, every woman in this administration is helping to oppress women's rights and education. They deserve it. Hmm. Then David Axelrod got some medicine that conservatives get all the time. He wrote this, Dems should not commit to impeachment unless and until there's demonstrable case for one. Oh my God, what a concept. It is just, it is not just a matter of politics, it's a matter of principle. If we normalize impeachment as a political tool, it'll be another hammer blow to our democracy. Yeah! Yeah, David, I agree with David or Axelrod. Hmm. Palmer report will, report will just sum up the left. This is why cable news will never be anything more than ratings-driven entertainment. It's a format that ultimately forces smart people like Axelrod to say stupid things like this just to come off as reasonable in the eyes of the most intellectually lazy viewers. Well, that was good. All of America's lazy and idiotic because we don't agree with you. Hmm. Chet Cannon's got our next one. 15 people dead in a bus crash. What's really bothering N. Lore, who is a blue check liberal... How much money is being raised because of victims' maleness, youthfulness, and whiteness? Some people are just awful, and she did say that. There was a HuffPo Canada, because there's a Canadian crash, and some people died. They started a GoFundMe. They got $4 million. Instead of saying, wow, that's fantastic for the victims, that's a lot of money. Then our next tweet. Try not to get cynical about what it's a total devastating tragedy, but the maleness, the youthfulness, and the whiteness of the victims are, of course, playing a significant role. So she's white, but because she has white guilt, fuck those goddamn white men. Let them all fucking die. It's a fucking mental disease. I'm telling you, liberals have some serious hate to work over. I don't know if people stole their lunch, lunch money. I don't know what the fuck happened to them, but they seriously need some counseling. Then there was this, as we bitch about, you know, social media and their bias. Dan Bondingo, two strong and vocal black women, Diamond and Silk, are throttled by Facebook and accused of producing unsafe content. Oh, and they happen to be Trump supporters. If they were liberals, they, we'd already be hearing howls of racism. They were banned this week for a while because they're putting out videos promoting Trump. Hmm. Okay. Variety. This is real. This is real. Margaret Atwood, a liberal, says 9-11 terrorists, wait for it, got the idea from Star Wars. Yeah. Skywalker flying into the Death Star. Oh, Okay, we just have some serious issues. David Burge starts us on our next one, and this is where, you know, we've done probably about 15 of these in the last year. This is how sick the media is, because this is Nicole Wallace. His tweet was, I can believe this happened in Morning Joe with SpongeBob, Morning Mika with Sandy Cheeks, and real Donald Trump was Plankton. He retweeted the following tweet. Nicole Wallace. 
My six-year-old watching Morning Joe with me just said, Morning Mika looks worried. I said, she is. He said, it's Donald Trump's fault, right? Kids know Trump is trouble. Why don't Republicans in Congress? Charles C.W. Cook, where can I read your six-year-old's independent analysis of the political scene? You know, why are you brainwashing your kids? I didn't make my kids see anything political until Clinton was impeached. I made them watch the impeachment trial, and I believe I told them that he's not getting impeached because the Senate's going to block it, but this is our political system. They needed to see it. It was huge. It was history. A president of the United States was impeached by the House. The Senate blocked it. But it wasn't because I hated Clinton, which I did at that time, because he was getting hummers, and friends that I knew who were drill sergeants got hummers, and they lost their goddamn jobs. He could lie about the word it and be called a hero. Then there's a gay guy that came out. He's a conservative. Chad Felix Green. I don't want to be normal. I am normal. I am average. Nothing special. Regular. American. I am not married to a woman, so I don't see where you get that I live a heterosexual lifestyle. You seem to be stuck in your own prejudicial view of how life is. And that because he was getting attacked by Scott K, a blue check liberal. And this is what that person said. And this is why I put it here, because we're about to go into hypocrisy. When you're a right-wing faggot and someone who probably only follows you because you talk shit about gay people finds out you're gay. He wasn't suspended. The tweet wasn't wiped out. But if I said faggot to a liberal, I would be blocked from Twitter. Because faggot is supposed to be a bad word. At least I was told it was a bad word. And what the fuck, Chuck? Why is that not bad? Is it because he's a conservative? Is it the same thing I see all the time with women that are conservative being called bitches, whores, sluts, prostitutes? And nobody seems to care because they're conservative. Mm. And you two motherfuckers need Jesus. Cover your ears, baby. Hypocrisy! You said in a speech that uh, mourning an America that endorses perversion and calls it an alternative lifestyle, is your words, is being gay a perversion? Senator, I, 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 when I was a politician, I had a very clear view on uh, whether it was appropriate for two same-sex persons to marry. I stand by that. So, you, so it's, you do not believe it's appropriate for two gay people to marry? Senator, I continue to hold that view. It's the same view. And so people that, in the State Department, I met some in Africa that are married under your leadership, believe that that should be allowed. Senator, I, I, we have, I, I believe it's the case, we have married uh, gay couples at the CIA, you should know. I treated them with the exact same set of rights. You believe that same... gay sex is a perversion? 
Yes or no? Senator, if I, if I can... If yes or no, sir. Moment, if do you believe that gay sex... Because it's, it's what you said here Senator, in one of your speeches. Yes or no, do you believe gay sex is a perversion? Senator, I, I, I'm going to give you the same answer I just gave you previously. My, my respect for every individual, regardless of their sexual orientation, is the same. So I will and conclude will by so saying... If you, I'm confirmed. I, I will conclude by saying, sir... You're going to be Secretary of State of the United States at a time that we have an increase in hate speech and hate actions against Jewish Americans, Muslim Americans, Indian Americans. Uh, hate acts are on the increase in our nation. You're going to be representing this country and their values abroad in nations where gay, and, uh, gay uh, individuals are under persecution, untold violence. Uh, your views do matter. You're going to be dealing with Muslim states and on Muslim issues. Uh, and I do not necessarily concur her that you are performing the values of our nation when you can't even, when you believe that there are people in our country that are, are, are perverse and where you think that you create different categories of Americans and their obligations. That was Cory Booker attacking Pompeo for his religious beliefs. And I start hypocrisy because that was the grandstanding liberals were on all week. Anybody conservative, bad, Russia, Comey's the god, and if a you know if a liberal ever had to go through that, you don't you would never hear the end of it. If they were the opposite, say uh, we weren't a crazy country who thought gay is cool and transgender is the best thing ever, and we actually believed in more traditional concepts like we used to, this would have made front news. But instead, you heard this. That was a, a very strong exchange. Yeah, a tough exchange. In some ways, an expected exchange. Cory Booker is the progressive on this panel. You've had a lot of gay rights groups raise these concerns about some of the comments that uh, Pompeo has made in the past. So you saw some of that exchange uh, come up there. And Pompeo essentially relying on the same answer, which is that he treats everybody fairly, uh, that people in the CIA are, have same-sex partners, and he didn't treat them uh, any differently. But I think there is that issue again. And can you promote uh, human rights uh, and equality in the way that typically secretaries of state have done and presidents have done uh, if you do personally have this belief that same-sex uh, marriage shouldn't happen and that essentially that people who are gay and lesbian uh, aren't as equal? And he stood by that. Yeah, and in the past he was asked similar questions about his anti-Muslim views. Um, so, and, and I think it, you know, it's a good point. What, what Nia was saying... He, he has, one of the things that is controversial is that he has spoken out against Muslims who don't speak out against terrorism. He has called that being complicit. So now Cory Booker today, quite masterfully, puts him on the spot and says, well, you were on this radio show where they talk about things like Muslims wanting to impose Sharia law on America or Muslims should be prosecuted for this. You didn't speak out about that. So he, he, he turned his own words, really, on himself. And when you are questioned directly and saying, do you believe that being gay is a perversion? Do you believe that gay sex is a perversion? And the best you can say is, well, my record has been unambiguous. You are essentially saying, yes, I do believe that. He did. You know, there are simple answers to those questions. No, right? Yes or no. That's a slide backward in the way a discussion of, of one of the world's largest faith faith is done. There was a simple way to answer that question, which is, I respect Islam just as much as I do Christianity or Judaism, and he didn't give that answer. Let's play that exchange between Senator Booker and Mike Pompeo on his views of same-sex marriage. Is being gay a perversion? 
Senator, I, 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 when I was a politician, I had a very clear view on uh, whether it was appropriate for two same-sex persons to marry. I stand by that. Yes or no, do you believe gay sex is a perversion? Senator, I, I, I'm going to give you the same answer I just gave you previously. My, my respect for every individual regardless of the sexual orientation, it's the same. So some folks watching might say to themselves, well, well why does his view about same-sex marriage matter if he's going to, to head the State Department? It doesn't seem immediately relevant. But when you consider what his role really is, Victoria, he's going to be the head diplomat for the United States. He'll be representing American values overseas and in some places where um, gays and lesbians um, are targeted and often targeted violently. So if he holds those views, what do you think is, is there going to be an issue when he, when he goes overseas and tries to represent, represent what the American people believe and what the American people have said they stand for and what the Supreme Court has uh, stood for as well here? I believe if you put most Americans in a room, excluding the fucking coasts, I don't think you'd get the answer you'd want to hear, liberals. You own the airwaves and you've been able to push this concept that gay is the coolest thing and there's more gay people than straight people and transgenders and next best uh, fucking demographic that is being tortured every day in our streets. And you would find most people think, yeah, I don't care if people are gay, but I don't, I don't really think that's normal or natural or anything. I just don't think they're going to do it. Now, I've said a million times on this show, I can give a fuck if you fuck a goat. That's your world. But thinking that's normal, I, I will never think that's normal. I don't think any animal on this planet was put here not to procreate. You can't procreate between the same sex. You can't do that. So you can be gay. You can do whatever you fucking want. It's America. But this, oh, it's wrong if you don't agree with the concept, goes to the same thing with abortion. You people shut down opposing views because you don't have an argument. You just demean people. So that was a grandstand against a Christian. And that was lauded in our press. That was cool. That was a good guy. But Cory Booker, you're never going to be president. Just for the record, you're not Obama. Obama didn't talk that crazy shit till they got into the White House. He didn't campaign on gay is the coolest thing. And if you don't believe gay sex is hot as fuck... And not a perversion, or weird, or different. That That's not going to win you the White House, bro, bro. Just not going to happen. So, things we talked about, and I didn't put it inside the fire for effect, but... Will the media cover 350 student groups who are doing a pro-life walkout? Hmm. Following National School Walkout Against Gun... Students from across the country joined a pro-life walkout in support of both the unborn and pregnant, but will the media cover it? On Wednesday, more than 350 student groups and students will participate in a pro-life walkout according to Students for a Life of America. <clears throat> but beside conservative and pro-life news sites, the event has still attracted little media coverage. This comes after the networks covered the March for Our Lives 13 times more than pro-life march, March for Life. That was huge. The site for the event called for the end of abortion and the defunding of Planned Parenthood. Do we think they covered it? You probably didn't even know what happened, did you? Yeah, they spent 10 minutes on a gun walkout. Each network, 10 minutes, they covered it on their nightly news. This received, wait for it, zero seconds. Zero. None. Nada. Neeksed. 
None of it. Then this week, the media as a whole was pushing this narrative that Scooter Libby did something bad. Calling Coleman a proven leaker liar while you're about to pardon Scooter Libya, who leaked the identity of a covert CIA employee and was convicted for lying about it to the FBI. Well, that's quite a thing. Buck Sexton, your statement is false. Libby was never charged with leaking an identity. He was charged and convicted of perjury and obstruction. Please check your facts. Asa Rangangangapa, another liberal from CNN, and the CIA Scooter Libby revealed the identity of the clandestine CIA officer, putting her and her sources in danger, and that was a lie also. Neither one of those are true. That was not what he was convicted for, because he didn't give up the agent. But since the turn of this election, there's a whole lot of agents that have been uncovered by the left, and nobody seems to care anymore hypocrisy. Kellerman says making NFL players stand for anthem, parenting owner's political speech. The one thing positive about leaving my job is I don't have to watch this shit anymore because everybody loved watching fucking Stephen A. go off the fucking rails like Rush Limbaugh. Friday's ESPN First Take program started with a 25-minute Donnybrook on Seattle Seahawks for sending an invitation to Colin Kaepernick. Kellerman called it a punk move and charged the NFL owners with trying to make their players' employees parrot their political speech. Some two weeks ago, the Seahawks agreed to give Kaepernick a tryout, and a second year in a row, they have flirted with signing him. As reported yesterday, when they learned that he would not promise to discontinue his anthem protest or his other controversial activism, they postponed the tryout. So, Kellerman, this is a punk move by Paul Allen and Seattle Seahawks. The way they've handled the situation... The reason this is a punk move by the NFL and now the Seahawks and Paul Allen's because essentially what they're saying is not voluntary to stand for the anthem. It is mandatory. And if you're going to say that, come out on the record and say, I dare you, Paul Allen. I dare you, Roger Goodell. I dare you! Kellerman doubted that will happen. Because one thing to say First Amendment rights don't extend to your workplace. In the other words, you can't say whatever you want in the workplace. It is another thing to say you want must parrot the boss's political speech and stand in front of the anthem is political speech, whether you like it or not. And I do believe the boss can make Kaepernick parrot his own political speech. They're put in a de facto and cowardly mandatory participation in the anthem. Stephen A., who's actually black and didn't need a virtue signal because he is black, added that the owners are white billionaires who make an example of Kaepernick by blacklisting him. I don't care what the decision is, certainly think Kaepernick is being screwed royally. See, that's wrong, and it's not what free speech is. There are plenty of rules at a workplace you can say or not say, and your boss can do it. Even union workers are restricted on what they can say at work. There is not a place on the planet that doesn't have a social media policy. Only at ESPN, which is losing viewers at a record pace, can you go around bashing people, and then you really can't, because look what happened to that fucking piece of shit racist. Huh? What happened to her? She went bye-bye. To our media mash, TDS, MSNBC pundit, dreams fantasy, Trump impeached, then he barricades himself in the White House. That was actually on the air. 
Could that have happened under fucking... Oh, well, why do I even ask anymore? Cuomo, Mueller team is 50-50 Dem and Con. Are you... What the fuck? You just make this shit up? And then our Media Bias 101 files. Couric goes on a rant about Trump. Hate, 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 hate. But we need to be less divisive. He's divisive. He is. And then Acosta floating... In the fucking press room, impeachment. I want to ask you, is that what a journalist is supposed to be doing? Terms of a remedy. I mean, normally, a person refuses to testify before a grand jury, uh, winds up being incarcerated for the time period of the grand jury, which is can be up to 18 months. So one way to enforce it is to have Donald Trump taken by the federal marshals and put in federal prison until he testifies. What if he refuses to uh, open the White House door? What if the secret, you know, will the, can, what if he fires any Secret Service agent um, who would allow the federal marshals in? What if Donald Trump simply decides, I don't have to follow the law. I refuse to be uh, held under the law. No marshal can get into this White House, and any Secret Service agent that defies me is fired. Well, at some point, he's going to have to come out of the White House. At some point, he's going to have to leave. Uh, and the U.S. Marshals will be directed to take him into custody, bring him before the federal district court judge. Uh, he'll be basically told uh, that either he goes in and he testifies or he takes the Fifth Amendment. If he takes the Fifth Amendment, there's not a problem. If he refuses to answer on the ground that a truthful answer would tend to incriminate him, he has the right to do that. If he does that, there's no contempt. If he doesn't do that, uh, he can be directed to go direct to jail. This is the most uh, uh, biased group of people. These people have the biggest conflicts of interest I've ever seen. Uh, Democrats, all, or just about all, either Democrats or a couple of Republicans that worked for President Obama. You also have to call this what it is. This is the politics of distraction. Mueller's team has some type of breakdown of Democrat and Republican. It's about 50-50. There's a lot of anxiety in the country, and as a result, we're not hearing each other. We're not talking to each other. We stick with like-minded people. What's really good for late-night comedy mm-hmm. and for cable news yes. is really, really the country let's be honest right yeah, yeah what i tried to do with this series is to not judge people but to encourage an open honest dialogue you know when my husband and i watch your show at night we're like it, can you really believe what's going on in this country it is insane isn't it yeah the president the president's personal lawyer uh, has been raided by the FBI. And I'm trying to help people rediscover their empathy muscle because we're so polarized and there's so much anger and hate towards each side, against each side. Not only that, then you have Stormy Watch. Of course, that's associated with the raid. You have, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And so do you, I mean, are you finding that it's still amusing or just... It's so depressing. It's still, it's still amusing. <laughs> We're so polarized. There's so much hate and vitriol and anger. And I know this is something that you all talk about because it doesn't leave room for a reasonable conversation. Civil discourse, I think, has become an oxymoron in this country. One other quick thing on uh, Speaker Ryan's announcement. Uh, there are some fears up on Capitol Hill, and we understand some in the White House, uh, that a Democratic wave is coming. It can sweep the Republicans out of power in the House. 
And that could potentially lead to impeachment proceedings uh, that the Democrats could bring forward. What is the president's uh, thinking on that? What, what is your thinking on that? Well, like I said earlier, we uh, are very confident in the record that we have and the very successful first year and a half that the president's had in office. And we expect to talk about that a lot. We'd love for you guys to talk about that a lot more, too. And we'd be happy to send you some talking points if you, you need some wave, guidance on that. Do you think a wave is coming? Do you think a wave is coming? Uh, we certainly think we have a great story to tell. And we think America uh, will be uh, ready to listen to that and certainly has, I think, felt the impact certainly from an economic standpoint uh, for this administration, and we're proud of that. Our last little nugget for hypocrisy is Ari Fleischer. And I read this and went, holy shit, God, i got to put this in my hypocrisy section. His tweet, both the New York Times and Washington Post put on the front page a story about someone no one has ever heard of, Elliot Brody, for paying off a mistress. Both papers buried a story about someone everyone has heard of, former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, who was found to have lied three times under oath. I listened to CNN in the 5 p.m. hour last night that gave the IG report about McCabe two sentences. One of the two was his lawyers defending him. But there's no bias. None. There's no liberal bias. It's all bullshit. So, as we go to our stats of a day, I got a positive one. I got to end on a positive note somewhere on this fucking podcast because it's really hard to find right now. Here is Megan McCain crushing, crushing my friends, that piece of shit Behar for comparing Trump another time to somebody fucking evil. We'll go into our stats. We're going to hear a soundbite about how a NFL cheerleader was discriminated on because She's Christian, whereas NFL cheerleaders who are Muslims can just do whatever they fucking want to do. We've gotten to the point in this world now where we have to rely on the sanity of Kim Jong-un and Putin over the president of the United States. That's where we're at. We're hoping because here's one of uh, the Russian prime minister, one of the guys over there said, we do not do diplomacy by tweet. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Issue is the moral relativism between someone like Kim Jong Un and Putin and President Trump. I think it's easy to sort of sit here and say that, but the reason why, why the why, Syrian why? You, think, you think Kim Jong Un is less moral think, than Trump? Do you? Yeah. Oh my God. I, mean, I, I think Putin is aiding and abetting of Assad right now. On what topic? Chemical gassing of children. Last time I checked, America isn't doing that to anyone. Oh, and you, and I think the moral. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a second, Kim Jong Un. You know, you, 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 talking about. Joy, you. I am trying. I'm really trying right now, and I know that you're that there's some frustration about the way we're communicating about this and I completely understand it but I will say it's hard for me to sit here with moral relativism about many things with Trump if you think that Kim Jong-un Vladimir Putin and Bashar al-Assad and President Trump are the exact same thing it's, it's when you lose all okay, arguments me with me in every said. way what I'm saying is that I see that the two of them are backing off of war and I don't I see Trump provoking war that's what Trump I say do you know how you're provoked war by that's the aiding and abetting if, if there's any understanding of history on this that right, Assad would not have the power he has right now if it weren't for Putin amping him up, giving him military, bombing yes, that's hospitals. True. That's Putin did that. Trump didn't do but that. And again, the moral relativism of this. I'm talking about the way he's provoking yeah. everybody. He's that's what tweet out. He's saying, so I'm bomb you. All, all right. right. We'll be right back and we'll come back and talk some more.
She spent her Sundays on the NFL sidelines cheering on the Miami Dolphins, but she says she was mistreated by members of the football community because of her faith. Here's Maria Villarreal. As a Miami Dolphins cheerleader, Kristen Ware was a fan favorite, but claims the league and the team discriminated against her because she was a Christian. I got told things like, you can't mention God, and I felt like I was walking on eggshells, but yet a football player can publicly announce whatever he believes in, whether it's kneeling for political indifference or kneeling because he does have a relationship with God and he wants to pray before a game, he has a right to do that. According to a complaint filed with the Florida Commission on Human Relations, Ware says she was blatantly discriminated against based on her religion and gender, and there was pervasive and severe abuse and harassment by the team director. My virginity got brought up, and I said, you know, I am waiting for marriage. And they said, well, as far as we're concerned, you've taken something that was once upon a time pure and beautiful, and you've made it dirty. Ware is one of many NFL cheerleaders who are publicly complaining about double standards tied to their weight, their wardrobe, and their conduct. If you're in a restaurant, you know, you have to leave if a football player comes in. If you were going to Walmart, you had to be presentable just in case somebody recognized you and wanted a selfie. Bailey Davis, a former New Orleans Saints cheerleader, filed a complaint after she was fired for a social media post. Ware says her complaints to higher-ups weren't taken seriously. And when you decided to quit the team, you didn't tell anyone, you just stopped showing up. Why is that? I had to make the choice, you know. Do I lay down the uniform even though it's something that I love? Or do I stay on the team and be silenced and basically turn my back on God? So the article goes, it's not often liberal media report on issues important to the value of conservatives. It's not often they do it in a respectful way. But during the Thursday CBS Evening News, the network put a spotlight on a case in Florida where former Miami Dolphin cheerleader Kristen Ware filed an official discrimination complaint against the organization, saying she was harassed and made to feel unwanted because of her faith. As a Miami Dolphins cheerleader, Kristen Ware was a fan favorite, but claims the league and the team discriminated against her because she was a Christian. According to Ware's statement in the interview with CBS, she wasn't even allowed to mention God. And and I felt like I was walking on eggshells. But yet a football player could publicly announce whatever he believes in. That just doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me whatsoever. We don't cover that in our media. And we don't cover this. U.S. has 3.5 million more registered voters than live adults. A red flag for electoral fraud. The data comes from Judicial Watch Election Integrity Program. The group looked at data from 2011 to 2015 produced by the U.S. Census Bureau American Community Survey. So it wasn't from a conservative source. Along with data from the FEC. Page free, sorry. California, for instance, is 11 counties with more registered voters than actual voters. Perhaps not surprisingly, it is deep blue state California, after all. Ten of those counties voted heavily for Clinton. Los Angeles County, whose more than 10 million people make it the nation's most populous county, had 12% more registered voters than live ones. 707,475 votes. That's a huge number of possible votes in an election. But Murdoch notes California San Diego County earned the Enchilada Grande. It's 138% registration translates into 810,966 ghost votes. But in other states, and in a smaller election, voter fraud could easily turn elections. 100 votes here, 100 votes there, and things could be very different. 
As Wikipedia lists of close elections shows, since 2000, there have been literally dozens of elections in the state, local, and federal level decided by a hundred fewer votes. So between those two counties, Los Angeles and San Diego, we're looking at 1.5 million voters or votes that shouldn't have been voted. That's what they're saying. Makes you think about that. Oh, she won by 4 million more votes. She's so much more popular than Trump. Other stats. North America's world's biggest TV addicts watching four hours a day. Wow. That's about right. I probably watch four hours. About an hour in the morning and three at night. Yeah. Then there was London. Instead of dealing with the Muslims that are fucking everybody up, they did a weapon sweep. And what do they grab? Scissors, pliers, and screwdrivers. Hmm. Pretty scary if that's the tool to trade. Missouri senator calls for reparation for slavery. Senator Maria Chappelle Nadal, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, douchebag. A Democrat from University City criticized white Democrats, such as Claire McCaskill, saying there's no difference between the Republicans, them and the Republicans. Both parties have failed black people. Neither one of them give a heck about black community. Only the votes. So all white people need to pay black people because we're just bad. Okay. Hateful hip-hop. Top U.S. R&B hip-hop songs objectify women's 55 time. Women's. I just pluralized women, which doesn't need to happen. For the week of March 31st, 2018, eight of the top 20 songs in Billboard's R&B hip-hop chart were blatantly sexist and misogynistic. And eight of the 20 songs, singers use the word bitch a total of 55 times, with 15 blatant instances of women being treated as sex objects. Cardi B, a woman, and a wannabe hashtag Me Too activist, had a new top 20 song about dominating bitches and giving them drugs. Newly minted rap star Post Malone and Ty Dolla Sign rap that they can take your bitch and receive all sex from them hoes and Kendrick Lamar's King is Dead, which used bitch seven times, grossly details getting a blowjob. Don't see the Me Too people attacking that, because, yeah, that would be bad and shit. The break of a California movement is one step closer. The chance of California split into three has moved to a step closer than billionaires secured enough signatures to trigger a referendum. Tim Draper, who made his money through Hotmail and Skype, has gathered 600,000 votes, or sorry, signatures, supporting the change way above the 364,000 needed. I hope California breaks into separate states. I think that would be awesome. Then a liberal, Yasher Ali, I was really torn between using this as my tweet of the day or using it here, but I think here is because it's a statistic. I mean, it's just, it's outright fact. What on a, a Twitter tweet about pundits? There's this thing that keeps happening. Anti-Trump cable news personalities start out sober, calm, and offer smart analysis. Then as their celebrity grows and they get more attention, they get addicted to the attention and start saying bombastic stuff, delve into conspiracies. Basically all the stuff they criticize Trump for, they turn into. It keeps happening. This is a made-up example because I'm not going to name names 
a former governor official has their first hit. Then they keep getting booked because they're good. Then they join Twitter. Next thing you know, they're quoting, quote tweeting Trump and talking about the P tape and then tweeting out articles from random blogs and saying things like, wow, if true. And FYI, for all you speculating, I'm not talking about anchors and hosts that have their own shows. I'm talking about pundits, analysis under contract. And no, I'm not going to tag anyone. Hmm. I can name at least 40 that go on CNN and MSNBC and do this weekly. Then they go out and tweet random shit and left-leaning alt-left blogs about Trump is the devil. But our final stat is exactly what I said about 18 podcasts ago. Backfire after FBI raid. More people now think Mueller probe a political witch hunt. The latest Rasmussen Reports National Telephone and Online Survey survey finds that 46% of likely U.S. voters still believe Mueller investigation is an honest attempt to determine criminal wrongdoing. Considering that we usually do all these polls at 13% more Democrat and independent than conservative, that makes sense. But that's down from 52 last October. 40% now consider Mueller probe a partisan witch hunt, an eight-point increase from 32 in an earlier survey. 14% are undecided. I looked at the questions. They weren't push polls. So basically, if you add in the undecideds, over half the country believes this is all fucking horseshit. And slowly but surely, as the midterms come, you're eroding any credibility you have, liberals, with your constant crazy investigations in the president, of the president, that reduce, that produce nothing. Nothing. You have nothing. You've gotten his lawyer and some bit players for perjury, but you really haven't produced anything that's credible. You, you just haven't. So that adds up our stats, and now we're going to go to a music break and news, social, media nuggets.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, Get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Yeah, he's in the military now. Military corner. Two soldiers killed in an Apache helicopter crash during training. It was uh, Chief Warrant Officer Ryan Conley, 37 part of the 101st Combat Aviation Brigade, and Warrant Officer James Casada, 28. Um, pretty scary. I read the report on it, and it looks like they didn't tap down a nut, and the rotors disintegrated in air. The entire helicopter just came apart. There was no way they could make it, which brings up a scary Scary thing. More troops have died in aviation mishaps than in Afghanistan combat over the past year. The incidents were the April 27th Black, April 17th, uh, UH-60 Blackhawk helicopter crash in Maryland, one soldier killed, two injured. June 23rd, Air Force F-16 flips over after skidding off a runway. Uh, the pilot was injured. July 10th, a Marine KC-130 explodes in midair over Mississippi. 15 Marines and one sailor is killed. August 5th, 2017, Osprey helicopter crashes off Australia coast. Three Marines killed. August 12th, Navy Super Hornet crashed lands at Bahrain International Airport. Uh, the pilot survived. August 15th, Army UH-60 Black Harbor crashes off coast of Hawaii. Five killed. August 25th, Army UH-60 Blackhawk helicopter crashed off of Yemen. One soldier killed. On September 28th, uh, Osprey suffered hard landing. Two service members injured. October 1st, 2017, Navy T-45 Gossack trainer jet crashed in eastern Tennessee. Two aviators killed. October 11th, Marine CH-53 helicopter burst into flame after crash landing. And near a residential area in Okinawa, all seven crew members survive. November 22nd, 2017, Navy C-2A Greyhound crashes southeast in Okinawa. Eleven crew members rescued. Three are lost at sea. January 22nd, 2018, Army AH-64 helicopter crashes during training in California. Two soldiers killed. March 14th, 2018, a Super Hornet crashed off Florida coast. Two aviators killed. March 15th, Air Force Pavehawk helicopter crashes in western Iraq after hitting a power line. Seven airmen killed. 
April 3rd, Marine AV-88 Harrier crashes shortly after takeoff. Pilot ejects and survives. April 3rd, a CH-53 Super Stallion crashes during training. Four Marines killed. April 4th, an Air Force F-16 Fighter Falcon crashed during routine aerial demonstration training flight. Pilot killed. That's 47 service members dead in just one year. Over that same time period, 31 service members have died in Afghanistan. Which brings me to the point, we don't see those 31 who have died. We don't see these 47s. The news is not running their death tote board like they used to under Bush. You don't even hear about the deaths in Afghanistan. They don't say a thing anymore. And we're on year 17 of a war. You don't hear about it. You hear a lot about Trump-Russia and Mueller and Comey's book. But fuck the media. I pray for all their families. It's a lot of people dying and nobody seems to care. But as you run your cock traps about free speech and everything... That free speech is secured by all these people in uniform who you seem to don't give a fuck about and Democrats think are low-skill-set employees. Hmm. Lockheed Martin new tanker drones are a glimpse of the future. That is some scary-ass shit. You look at it, it's a big-ass drone, but it's thicker in the center because it's holding fuel, and they're actually going into the future talking about doing drone refuel. Big Bird taking a lot of fuel, drones grabbing a little fuel, and taking it away to the birds. That's pretty interesting. This was a funny article that I had to do. Because of the military, I'm no longer a self-conscious pooper. Have you ever taken a poop while other people watched? And it's a large article. I'm not going to read it. But it did bring up the point that when you do take a dump in... The military, there's no stalls. I mean, when I went to basic, there wasn't even, there's nothing. It's just a commode out in the open. Six of them side by side. And you had to take a shit like that. And then you talk about being a grunt where you're taking a shit just out in the woods and everybody in the world takes a look at your ass. When I was in my battle position in Operation Anaconda, the shitter was in the center. Everybody shit in the center. We We dug a little trench. And so you literally shit there. Everybody in the world could see you taking a dump. I time my dumps with nighttime. But I do have to admit, over the years, my shitting in public totally changed. My wife even said, I mean, you shit everywhere now. Where before, I, I did not poop in public. I just didn't do it. I don't know why. Probably, well, probably has a lot to do with the toilets are usually nasty as fuck, and I'm afraid I'm going to get the clap off them, but whatevs. To our college crazy. Sociology Conference obsesses over hatred of Trump. The Southern Societal Society is holding an annual conference this week on the theme of racial theory, analysis, and politics in Trump America. The program for the conference features numerous crude drawings of President Trump depicting him as a diaper-wearing infant enamored with nuclear weapons in the KKK. Their aim is to promote the development of sociology as a profession 
and the maintenance of high academic, professional, and ethnic standards include valid and reliable methods and research. Never trust those crooked regional sociological societies. Quote, they wanted me to tweet. It's going to feature two full-color illustrations that crudely depict, and this is the conference program, features two full-color illustrations, crudely depicting the presence of babies. Six sketches employ similar themes as nine satirical presidential tweets. The front cover shows the president as a grotesque and overweight infant sitting in soiled diapers on top of an image of a hooded Klansman while playing with a missile and a nuclear bomb. Seems like you people got some serious shit. These drawings look like a kid did. They're not even remotely art. It's like somebody sketched this shit with a fucking Sharpie. And Fox News is in the camera. Or on the TV. So, yeah. You go there. You go there, Wiles. Harvard to interrogate professors accused of microaggressions. Harvard University has flagged seven courses for special attention and review because at least three students accuse the professor of committing microaggressions. Administrators say they will meet individuals professors accused of subject students to sub- subjecting students to verbal or nonverbal slight insults, noting that workshops are available to help them better understand diversity. We have workshops for our faculty that help them think about how to manage sometimes difficult but important conversations in the classroom around diversity and inclusion. So we're not talking about the course subjects. We're more concerned with diversity and inclusion. The question specifically asked whether a student had experienced any verbal or nonverbal slights or insults that negatively target a particular identity group. The form lists identity groups such as age, disability, status, gender, immigration status, linguistic background, nationality, political view, race, ethnicity, religious beliefs, sexual orientation, and societal economical class. Each student felt they experienced a microaggression by a professor were asked to anonymously identify which class the professor was responsible. Though nearly one-third of all classes were flagged for at least one microaggression, 48 out of 138, Turnbull says Harvard is only investigating classes received at least three reports of microaggressions. You know, I remember at a time in the Army they started handing out stress cards to privates, and they finally got rid of that shit because they realized... Whenever somebody doesn't want to do something, they're going to do shit like this. So I am sure the microaggression is, you got an F because you didn't do your fucking homework or you didn't do right on the test. And these kids went, microaggression, I'm black, I should get an A because white people and shit. Okay. Exclusive, GWU conservative challenge Christian privilege. Yeah, dig this shit. Nearly a dozen Christian students defended their religious values on Thursday, pushing back against the Christian Privilege Workshop hosted by GWU. And that's George Washington University. One of the arguments for Christian privilege appeared to rely on the assumption that non-Christians aren't guaranteed safety on campus, including the claim that Christians have more places where they can worship their religion. Really? Wow. A dozen students, about a dozen of the students in attendance opposed the idea of Christian privilege, challenging the moderator on a wide variety of topics that were explored throughout the workshop. One of the main arguments in favor of Christian privilege appeared to rely on the assumption that non-Christians aren't guaranteed safety. la da 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 I don't know what privilege we have, 
because it seems like all the comedians on late night say Christians are pretty fucked up. Students under investigation for posting conservative flyers. A conservative student at Siena College facing a disciplinary hearing after he posted 600 flyers around campus of an email in which a professor called conservative students miserable to work with. Remember, we covered that last podcast. The notice of charges accused Zachary Butler of action that adversely affects the health, welfare, and or safety of campus community members or the name and or reputation of the college. So we're not going to investigate the professor who says conservative students are fucking pieces of shit. That doesn't hurt anything. Fuck them. But you put his own words up. You're a piece of shit. And isn't it that the big liberal thing right now? If you use Trump's words, you can't be held accountable because Trump's the devil and shit. Isn't that like a thing? You fucking people are hypocrites. Next one. Pro-gun event provokes hysterics from liberal students. Liberal students turn to vandalism and accused of white supremacy this week. Accusations of white supremacy this week. To express the displeasure with a pro-gun event featuring Larry Pratt. A few days prior to Pratt's lecture, the opinions editor of the school newspaper was caught on camera tearing down posters advertising the event, leading to her prompt dismissal from the paper. The pictures are Black Lives Matter, White Supremacy Has No Place Here, blah, 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 and the whole fucking thing was about guns. So now, black people with guns, you're a white supremacist too, so go get rid of your guns. Then there's this one. Professor wanted students' fingers to curl up with shame when he used the R word in a poem. Professor wanted students' fingers to curl up with shame after he used the R word in a poem, and the R word was retard. Iowa State University communication and poetry writing professor Jennifer Knox said that though she had heard horror stories from fellow professors, she had never stumbled across a racial, sexual, homophobic, religious, or any other type of slur in student poem, according to a column in the Washington Post. Knox claimed that one of her students, a strong writer with strong politics, chose to spice up a rant with the R word. Mocking people with Down syndrome appeared like a glowing toxic weed in the middle of a pile of F-bombs. When I read it, oh boy, I really wanted that student to feel censored. I wanted his fingers to curl up with shame and his hands to crawl backwards up his shirt sleeves like tap turtle heads the next time he even thought about writing a poem. Instead of silencing and shaming the student class, Knox said she and her students advised a student who used retard on revisions. The class had a very productive conversation about the poem. Another student was not satisfied with the teacher's response and criticized the teacher not letting students most fully express their feelings. Poets feel strong feelings, but how we communicate those feelings determines whether people will listen to us. Knox responded, readers feeling that, that and reactions to words are automatic, especially feeling the stem from trauma and cruelty, like slurs with race, religious, blah, 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 blah. The Iowa State University professor titles a section of her syllabus word choice in which she exclaimed the words that hurt people can stop all forward momentum in poem. Writing a poem is like a cook. Ah, shut the fuck up. Here's the problem, folks. You're so offended by the word retard, but you want to kill anybody that could be called a retard. You want no babies with Down syndrome to ever be born. So who's the real monster here? I'm asking. I'm seriously asking that question. And if you want to email me, just send it to foppodcast at gmail.com. Because it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
You people are fucking wahoos. A word is horrible, but aborting a baby who has Down syndromes is okay. Scripps hosts no whites allowed pool party. Isn't that nice? Nice. A student organization at Scripps College will host a pool party Friday night exclusively for people of color. Or POC, as they put on their flyer. Clearly stating that there are no whites allowed. In fact, organizers of events even provided attendees with an anonymous form to make sure no one enters who will keep this experience being a safe and comfortable one. Because white people make everything so unsafe. Got it. It was Latinx group. Cafe Con Leche. The three-hour use of Scripps Sally Tiernan House Pool is aimed at the creation of a safe space for 5C students to identify as POC, come together, and build community. It will be open to all students identifying as POC attending the Claremont College. Cafe Con Leche also advised the event on its own Facebook page, adding its post that the pool party will be POC only with four Ys. We welcome all members of the script community, regardless of racial and cultural heritage, to join us in this pursuit. It states. Yeah, you see all these people holding up gang signs. Then there's Illinois student government hosts Meat Free Monday for Earth Week. Lower your carbon footprint and eat lower on the Trophic Pyramid. Learn about food sustainability and food security. Eat a bunch of free vegan food. Yeah. No. No, I don't see me going there. And our last college crazy, University Hosts Queer Research Day to challenge normalcy. Kennesaw State University will soon offer a conference on queer research hosted by the school's LGBTQ EIEIO student program office, which recently turned heads for telling students that NE and VE are gender neutral pronouns. According to conference description, attendees will have the opportunity to share their queer research and explain how they are addressing queerness in their work. The description of the Queer Research Day explains its goals to challenge normalcy while offers scholars a chance to share how they are addressing queerness, and it's spelled all sorts of fucking weird, Q-U-E-R-N-E-S-S, in light of the radical potential of queer as theories, identities, politics, and communities, how can we challenge normalcy and indeed live, study, and think through queer impossibilities and nuances? The agenda, agenda prompts participants, adding that the conference will share will be a great opportunity for students and professors to share their queer research. And I won't be going to that either. A non-college crazy from the normal site, uh, the University of Penn State, or Penn State University, to say it right, they've gotten rid of court titles for the king and queen. They've went, gone gender neutral. So isn't that fantastic but if it isn't on our college campuses it's everywhere else spin here taylor swift's cover earth wind and fire soul classic in september these are the replies reign of april a blue check liberal not today satan uh killmonger fan sect this is the most disrespectful shit ever seen Ray, no one respects Earth, Wind, and Fire, funk music, whatever cover song like that with banjos. No one who loves that song takes a classic and makes it sound like 
unseasoned chicken. Then there's the New Yorker. Now remember, Chick-fil-A is the third fastest growing fast food restaurant in the United States of these Americas. But liberals still can't get over that gay marriage comment that the president had, because he has freedom of speech, but they don't believe in freedom of speech, and he said that he didn't believe in it. It's a Christian organization. It's fucking closed on Sunday. But left can't tolerate that shit. And there's even been people in New York City that never wanted it ever to get into there. You can't let Chick-fil-A get in because they're fucking homophobes. Well, New Yorker calls Chick-fil-A a creepy, persuasive for being Christian. The New Yorker approached topics like shallow teenagers, slap a disparaging warning on a topic, and bingo, you have journalism. Among the long, hollowed list of people, places, and things the magazine has found creepy, the publication's latest target is, surprise, a Christianity, the Christianity of Chick-fil-A franchise. Blogger Dan Peepingbring found the franchise pervasive Christian traditionalism with its statue of Jesus watching a disciple feet, washing a disciple's feet, and its policy to close on Sunday, just too much. The New Yorker also called many things creepy, from Miley Cyrus' return to sobriety, Ikea's aesthetic, children books, and don't forget the ultimate creep, Donald Trump. But for the place to be considered creepy because of the endorsement of Christianity lacks humor, though Pipingbring did his best declaring no more to the infiltration, just like there's no more chicken. Anger, no doubt, that Erdstadt's homespun ambience of a megachurch, Pipingbring accused the restaurant of having the ulterior motive, proselytism, and glorifying God. Rather than just understanding that the free market exists and that there is no, there is in fact a niche for enthusiastic Christians who want to sell chicken sandwiches, the writer took to the same stale path that the rest of the media has been parroting since 2012 and the LGBT, anti-LGBT, blah, 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 blah. In his slightly offensive, albeit amusing, metaphor comparing Chick-fil-A to a megachurch, the cows apparently are the ultimate evangelists. But that's not what confuses Piper Bring the most. He wonders why New York City is content to have a restaurant chain that does not quite belong here. Even though Mayor Bill de Blasio tried to prevent the franchise from opening of the city, there wasn't much controversy when it actually did open its doors, and for the suburban piety displayed by the owner, it's distasteful. New Yorkers are under no obligation to repeat what the cows say. Enough we can tell them. Pipe and Brain concludes. How edgy. Tolerance. It's just like the the Roseanne show. No. We boycotted that. It became really good for them and they sold more chicken. So now we just don't let them come in. Tell me if Clarksville, Tennessee refused to let a Starbucks in because they're so liberal that the mainstream media won't be covering that. But in the ever world of clickbait, this was really good for the left. Jill Philippuk. One more thing I learned today, even its most diehard fans don't know how to spell Chick-fil-A. I guess Jesus can do a lot, but he can't make you good at branding. Her next tweet, also every Kenyan chicken and chip shop should open a branch in New York and give Chick-fil-A a run for its money. McFries, which a friend here claims is pronounced MC Fries, not sure that's correct, but I'd like it, would make a killing. Almost all my mentions are people mad I'm making fun of Chick-fil-A and I'm dying. Call me malice. Chick-fil-A is the fastest growing fast food chain in the country. 
They must be branding something right. Mm-hmm. And David Burge with his satire. Maybe you should build a wall to keep out those icky foreigners. <laughs> but I talked about Starbucks. And here we go with the Starbucks. Black man's arrest at Philadelphia Starbucks prompts city probe amid national outcry. As a sad note, or a side note is what I meant to say, this was really hard to get my hands on. Philadelphia.com had this, and they didn't want anybody to have it unless you paid for it. So this is a clickbait extraordinaire fucking story, because to get it, I had to pay $10, and then promptly cancel my subscription, just to get the fucking article. Of course, this was done before I quit my job, which is probably not too smart, but whatever. And here's the story. Two black men were arrested in Starbucks affiliate Philly on Thursday, and witnesses said the men didn't do anything. In a widely circulated video of the incident, at least two people who were presented verbally defending the two men and questioned why they were being arrested and handcuffed. This is ridiculous, said one white man to a black officer in a video. What did they get called for? Because they were two black guys sitting here meeting me? What did they do? They didn't do anything. I saw the entire thing, a woman said. At least five police officers were present during the arrest, the video shows. Police have not named the men, and the pair's attorney, Lauren A. Wimmer, also declined to name them at the time. The two men had gone to Starbucks to meet Andrew Yaff, the white man, who can be seen in a video questioning the police officers, according to Wimmer. Yaff could not immediately be reached for comment, but Wimmer told BuzzFeed News he is a friend of the two men. He runs a real estate development investment and management firm, and the men were meeting with him to discuss a potential residential and commercial real estate opportunity. The two men had not ordered immediately upon arriving, and as they were still waiting for Yaff, while they're waiting for him, a white female manager was on duty at the time, asked them to leave. When they said they were just waiting for another person to arrive before ordering, she phoned the police. How many times have we sat in Starbucks minding our own business, waiting for a friend to come, and then we order? When Yaff arrived and found the two men being arrested, he called Wimmer, who he is also friends with. He said the two men were arrested around 5.30 and were fingerprinted and photographed by the police. Oh my God, infringement on their rights! called booking idiots police told Wimmer they had arrested the men for defiant trespassing the district attorney did not approve of the charges and the two men were released around 2 a.m. two young black men who were simply waiting to be joined by a friend were blatantly discriminated against based on their race Wimmer said in a tweet not only is this inexcusable it's illegal you can see in the video the disposition as if they were both thinking I can't believe this is actually happening this was a highly traumatized experience for both men, and hopefully they'll be able to recover. The Starbucks manager reportedly called the police has not been identified and calls the store where the incident took place to not go through Saturday. The person who posted the video on Twitter cannot be immediately reached, and this is clickbait, 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 clickbait. Starbucks said that according to their company policy, they do not allow non-paying members of the public to come in and use the restroom. Police asked the men to leave the Starbucks three times, he added, and they were arrested when they refused to do so. The police had legal standing to make this arrest, Ross said. In short, these officers did absolutely nothing wrong. Ross, who's black, denied the arrests were racist. I will say that as an African-American male, I'm very aware of implicit bias. We are committed to fair, unbiased policing and anything less that will not be tolerated in the department. In a statement on Twitter, Starbuck apologized to two men, as well as customers, and said they were disappointed this led to an arrest. We apologize to two individuals and our customers for what took place in Philadelphia. 
Starbucks takes these matters seriously and clearly has more work to do when it comes to how we handle incidents in our stores, the company said. We're reviewing our policies and will continue to engage the community and the police department and try to ensure these types of situations never happen in any of our stores. The money shot. Despite the company's attempted assurances, however, the arrest have sparked growing outrage on social media, including a Twitter campaign to hashtag boycott Starbucks. <laughs> John Ryling. I am 100% confident that as a white man in America, I could go to any coffee shop and sit for two hours without ordering anything, and the police would not be called. 100% boycott Starbucks. Tory Walker. I'm calling the police next time a group of white people take up the whole line, making useless small talk and won't move. A black guy said that. Stable genius. I am done with them until they apologize for the racism that employees exhibited. Fire the employees and make restitution to those two young men. Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney called Saturday for city commission to review the incident. It's not election season or anything. I am heartbroken to see Philadelphia in the headline for an incident that, at least based on what we know at this point, appears to exemplify the racial discrimination of 2018. Like all retail establishments in our city, Starbucks should be a place where everyone is treated the same, no matter the color of their skin. As backlash mounted Saturday, Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson issued a longer response. Regretfully, our practices and training led to a bad outcome. The basis for the call to the Philadelphia Police Department was wrong. Our store manager never intended for these things to be arrested, and this should never have escalated as it did. Johnson said that he would travel to Philadelphia in the coming days to speak with Starbucks partners, law enforcement, and community leaders. He also said that he hoped to apologize in person to the black men, and they're going to get all sorts of money. Nowhere in this article do they expound upon they were told to leave by the police, and they didn't. Free, dumb, in a free society, requires that people understand everybody has rights, just like businesses. No lefties. Only in the gay world do you get away with the bullshit you get away with. But no shirts, no services could be fucking disparaging against people who don't wear shirts. Don't wear shoes. Hell, at the time my son didn't wear shoes. He was a fad. No shoes. So yeah. Blue on blue crime. I used to have a soundbite for that in the beginning of the show. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, boycott Starbucks. I didn't see anybody boycott Starbucks because they weren't giving fucking anything to soldiers during the war. Well, I guess I did to an extent because they sure the fuck turned that around and start sending free coffee overseas. Hmm. Then there's this one. Los Angeles allocates 500k for diversity-themed dinner parties to save the USA. This is the city council. They're using state or tax money for this. The new program called Embrace LA seeks to foster understanding, healing, and growth, improve race relations, and develop transformative, transformative social, political, and economic policies for a city where more than 200 languages are spoken. We are all one race, the human race, LA City Council President Herb J. Wesson, who co-created the initiative. What is more important than us fighting not only to save Los Angeles, but the United States. That's what we're doing. 
Later in the article, Trump America is batted around. Hmm. But the funniest one in the crazy was this one. Robbie Sav. The Simpsons could have defended problematic Apu or caved to political correctness and apologize. They didn't either. Instead, charting a conflicted and thoughtful middle ground, even making fun of their own indecisions. Critics, burn the witch. As Twitch reported earlier, The Simpsons on Sunday night gave a nod to the controversy set forth in Harry Kondabula's documentary, The Problem with Apu. In the episode, Marge sets out to sanitize her favorite children book, which she realizes she reads to her daughter. Lisa is anything but politically correct by modern standard. The camera cuts to a picture of Indian-American Apu Nirmahamshababhavathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathath
But now he's racist. We make documentaries about it. The New York Times puts more time into this than any liberal thing that's ever happened, including Benghazi. What is wrong with you people? I know, you're crazy. Chloe Savigny is an actress, actor, and I should say, since she seems to be exquisitely woke, on the chance that Savigny is super duper woke, I'll apologize now for having the presumption of using feminine pronouns. Anyway, Savini, an astute observer of relative melanin levels among various populations, has determined that there are too many white people in the Park Slope neighborhood of Brooklyn, or maybe in the world. What's more, that surfeit of Caucasian isn't terribly interesting. Savini, you see, has been in the movie set in Park Slope, Park Slope, excuse me, which came up in an interview with left feminist website Jezebel. Asked how much research she does for various roles, Savini said, it depends. This white privileged lady in Park Slope? Yeah, I know that. There's not that much research that needs to be done on that one. Ha ha, white people, all the same, aren't they? In fact, she called the whole Park Slope movie Golden Exists a whitewash. She related that as Golden Exists screenings, the director was confronted about all the whiteness in the movie. He was like, have you ever been at Park Slope? And then you're like, What's he going to do? Fill in all the minor characters? When I watch a movie, it's so transparent when they're casting it in that situation. I'm not saying they shouldn't. It's also like, this is the world. There's too many white people, period. Wow. Okay. I guess we should do something about that. Less white people. I would not be surprised there will not be a political candidate in the next 10 years that will not only call for reparations they will call for white people to be limited to a certain amount of offsprings that's how far they're going to take their hate and racism and the media will say it's okie dokie so before I punch inanimate objects let's move on to stupid shit mom who let four-year-old eat a PB&J in a shopping cart, branded a monster by marrying four of them. This is real. Here's one for all the parents out there. Is it okay to let your kid eat a peanut butter sandwich at Target? A mother on a New York parenting blog wrote Monday that while shopping at the store, she gave her four-year-old daughter a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and a woman stopped me to lecture me about peanut allergies. The child mother then asked other moms on Urban Baby if it was now unacceptable to eat peanut butter in public. If your reaction is, of course, not, it's a free country, you're definitely siding with the minority. The anti-peanut butter backlash was swift and brutal. Most responses attacked the mother for potentially endangering children with peanut allergies. Some criticized her for feeding her daughter in a shopping cart, which they considered disgusting. Here are some of the quotes. That's really inconsiderate, one person wrote. So many kids are having life-threatening allergies to peanut butter. Eating it in a shopping cart guarantees it will be smeared on the handles, etc. It's really awful. There are hundreds more. Hundreds more of these people losing it because a lady gave her kid peanut butter and jelly in a public space. Wow. I used to met, I used to remember when it was you, you got upset about people hitting their kids in public. But now it's giving your kid peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. 
and I see dogs and kids and cars left unattended all the time. I don't see that making news. That should be something really important because it really does threaten a kid. But I guess walking by somebody with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is now like having a swastika armband. Got it. Fox. Nearly half of black Americans don't get enough sleep. That was their tweet. The actual article, black Americans don't sleep as well as white Americans. That's a problem. Bad sleep may fuel health disparities in America. Here's the article. In America, you can find inequality between white and black people just about everywhere you look. Stark disparities exist in education and health and income, and they creep into unappreciated parts of daily life, too, like sleep. Research shows black Americans, on average, simply don't sleep as well as white Americans do. They don't sleep as long, they don't sleep through the night as often, and they suffer more heavily from sleep apnea, a potential life-threatening disorder. Other minority groups, such as Latinos and Asian Americans, also sleep more poorly than white Americans, but the differences are starkness in the black community. The sleep gap is essentially to understand. It's a disparity that is both caused by social inequities and likely to perpetuate them. Infinite Bastard sums up my thoughts on this. Beds are now racist. (laughs) So, I've been blamed for a lot of things on the internet because I'm a white male, but I've never been blamed. I... Make you not sleep. If you let white people, I, I'm not an African American, but I, if I was, I could say this and it wouldn't be considered a microaggression. But as a black person, if you let white people live rent free in your brain so you don't sleep, you might want to get some. You might want to get some counseling because that's some crazy ass shit. But not as crazy as this. Nice segue, huh? San Francisco Progressive Church to hold a Beyonce Mass. Yeah, this is real. The wildly progressive church of San Francisco is considered conferred sainthood on a pop star, Beyonce. The so-called Mass is honor for the singer who once gave homage to Black Panthers during a performance. Will be held at Grace Cathedral, an Episcopalian congregation, during their hip young adult service called Divine. On an event Facebook page, the saintly Beyonce is described as one whose art opens a window into the lives of the marginalized and forgotten. Beyonce at church, that's right, says the page. Come to the Vine SF on Wednesday, April 25th to sing your Beyonce favorites and discover how her art opens a window into the lives of marginalized and forgotten black females. Delivering the servant will be Reverend Yolanda Norton, an assistant professor of Old Testament at San Francisco Theological Cemetery, who also teaches a class titled Beyonce and the Bible. This is the third week in our teaching series, Speaking Truth, the Power of Story and Community. The page concludes, join us throughout May as we look at how we can grow together using each of our unique voices. On top of the building, an idol out of a pop singer, the same church just recently hosted a talk that portrayed Mary Magdalene as a first nasty woman by photoshopping a pussy hat onto a painting of her. From the page... Hillary Clinton is in good company. The story of you strong, smart women being insulted and marginalized by agents of the patriarchy is as old as time. 
If Mary Magdalene was alive today, she'd surely be wearing a pink hat and marching with all who wear that epitaph, nasty woman, as a badge of honor. It's a real flyer. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Police. Women claim wind blew cocaine into her purse. As you all know, I watched Live PD. I've heard my mom's pants, my mom's car. I've never heard the wind put the cocaine into my purse. And this woman, she needs to find Jesus. Women arrested for beheading boyfriend tells cops, let me get my heads. Yeah. That's pretty scary. This one's scarier. A babysitter on LSD tried to take the toys, and that wasn't the worst, cop says. Tower of the Virtue of Dropping Acid to unlock the creative process. Just Jefferson Airplane, the Doors, the Beatles, and the late Apple co-founder Steve Jobs. Even popular contemporary country act Casey Musgrave said she had dropped acid for inspiration while composing a track for a critically acclaimed album, Golden Hour. But taking LSD and babysitting, not a good idea. For one form, Florida woman. Deputy said a Gainesville woman took LSD and then stole toys and $300 wedding ring from the house of the child she was babysitting, according to the Akula County Sheriff's Office. Lauren Margareta Montegrele, 27, was under the influence of psychedelic drug while babysitting a child around 8 p.m. The baby's father asked Montegrele to leave when he noticed she was acting strange, which refused. The University of Florida paper reported. By this point, deputies had arrived, but Montegre, who had grabbed a handful of child toys, wasn't taking orders for anyone. According to the deputies, she wouldn't drop the toys and kick the two law enforcement officers. She was whisked to a medical center when staff discovered she had the father's wedding ring also. According to the Coola County court documents, Montegre is charged with two counts of battery on a law enforcement officer, resisting arrest with violence, burglary of dwelling, and grand threat. Her bond was set as $55,000. Fifty-five You might want to vet your people. Charlene Theron starts getting us to the end of, well, it is our last news and social media nuggets. I might have to leave America because of racism. Oh, God damn it. You were the only woman in Hollywood I thought was attractive, and I, I, I knew your politics were bad, but why'd you have to say that? In an interview with Chelsea Handler, oh, God damn it, there it is. Published Thursday in Elle magazine, actress Charlene Theron warned the outspoken liberal talk show host and activist that racism in America was so bad that she might have to leave. And the Trump administration is partially to blame. Of course! During their time together, the South African actress, which I did not know, expressed her feelings on racism since she's from a country that had apartheid. She apparently is an expert. She told Handler... Being raised during the apartheid era in South Africa made me so hyper-aware of equality and human rights. She continued down a cringy path of justification. Of course, I have two black kids, but that was always something I was passionate about. I didn't even know how to talk about the last year under our new administration. Our new? You're not an American. Well, and all else fails, blame the new administration, especially since it's been around for longer than a year. But wait, according to Theron, it's not the administration that's to blame. It's also just America in and of itself. Yeah. So as we go to our lighter fare, 
that bullshit is coming out of your hand dryers. Because here's a tidbit to kind of sum up this whole segment. Bathroom hand dryers spray feces particles on your hand. And this whole section just sprayed liberal bullshit all over us. To our letter. Couldn't find anything good for Light Affair today, so we're going to cover 12 Strong. I watched the movie. I thought it was fantastic. I thought the graphics and CGI looked pretty damn real, and it was pretty close to the book. They added some stuff like people were really injured and things. Those weren't true, but it was a very heroic movie, and as a veteran of those wars who hit the ground right after all this happened and had my own fights, I, I thought... You know, this is great to see a movie like this. The left, on the other hand, well, they didn't. 12 Strong celebrates American exceptionalism. The left hates it. The new gun-heavy movie, 12 Strong, opened in theaters. based upon the declassified blah, 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 blah. Formative but true, go figure. Or read this from the man, Michael O'Sullivan. Although the American Americans complain that it's hard to tell who they're fighting against, even their allies treat them with suspicion. It's abundantly clear to the audience who the bad guy is. The enemy is embodied by an almost cartoonish black-clad Taliban mullah who, when he's not executing a weeping schoolteacher for educating girls or firing a barrage of RPGs at Mitch and his men, is peering through the red-tinted lenses of binoculars that lend him a satanic malevolence. As TTAG's resident war hero, John Walker Taylor, will tell you, that's nothing compared to the casual cruelty the Taliban inflicted on Afghan locals day in or day out. The rape, torture, and killing of small children. The craven, murderous assaults on unsuspecting American soldiers. Acts well beyond the idea of human decency. Acts that would turn your stomach. When turns by, what turns my stomach is the way a Sullivan can't credit the movie's heroes, and that's what they are. For their patriotism, heroism, and, professional and honor, professionalism and honor. He continues, Far from the rah-rah kind of war story that some may be used to, 12 Strong is suffused with cynicism. Although refreshing in a way, the attitude flies in the face of everything else the movie tries to tell us. That Mitch and company are fighting to right a wrong and that it matters. More often than not, 12 Strong feels like a sports movie where all the stakes rest on a matter of honor and duty, but on a single, not where they rest on honor and duty, but on a single field goal. Here's another bit of bile from the appropriately named Slate magazine. Masses of faceless Taliban fighters drop to the ground like flies as tiny traces of CGI blood spurt into the air before quickly vanishing. Fuselogs particularly reveals in the destruction caused, revels in the destruction caused by bombing raids, which he often captures in a sweeping aerial shots and gives us bird eye view of the awesome might of the American empire. That the men who die in these battles might be purely evil, that they too might have families, friends, and lovers is a nuance that 12 strong doesn't care or discern. Wow. The men who ex- execute little girls are receiving an education beyond age 8 along with those who teach them. The men who gleefully bl- bugger little boys who cut off a woman's thumb for the crime of polishing her nails. This is the author destroying this guy. As I said, veterans could tell you tales that would make anyone with a shred of humanity blanch in horror. 
Wishing the destruction of evil people is no evil unless you lack a conception of right and wrong. If you want a list, click here to read Hollywood and Toto's roundup of self-righteous progressives slamming 12 strong for daring to portray America's soldiers in a positive light. The good news, the public like, like it, like it. As of this writing, Rotten Tomato survey pegs at 54% favorable, 71% of the moviegoers blessed with a fresh rating. Yeah, the critics didn't like it. Here's more SJW reactions. <clears throat> it's, uh, first it was that the movie made a mu- bu- bunch, much of mass murdering women, oppressing terrorists, the bad guys. Now it's time to wage war against war movies that glorify outdated models of masculinity. Yep, 12 Strong is just too masculine for these milk toast limp dicks. Here's a quote. As Hollywood begins to navigate the Me Too landscape, Tabian Siegel reported, one of the first casualties appears to be his big screen erotica. In the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandal, studios are steering clear of sex. Alyssa Rosenberg, writing in the Washington Post, hopes that Hollywood embarrasses executives are navigating the end of a very narrow way of thinking about what's alluring. Instead of movies that objectify women, she suggests more films that portray sex and sexuality in intelligent ways. This reckoning is long overdue, and it can be extended to another genre that has distorted how men behave. War movies. Hollywood has shown itself capable of making excellent war movies, think Three Kings, Pass the Glory, and The Best Years of Our Lives. But most are problematic. Some of the biggest war movies of the post-9-11 era don't just show violence in a way that are often gratuitous and occasionally racist. They model a cliched form of masculinity that veers from simplistic to monstrous. For instance, you can see Rambo and John Wayne return life in the latest war blockbuster, 12 Strong, which was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, who also brought us Black Hawk Down. 12 Strong is an extravaganza about special forces that fought the Taliban in Afghanistan in the weeks and months after 9-11. During the movie's pivotal scene, the leader of the Green Beret, played by Chris Hemsworth, decimates a hive of Taliban fighters with his rifle ablaze as he gallops ahead on a fearless horse. Yes, he's riding a horse. In the same way that Hemsworth's assault weapon goes rat-tat-tat and the bad guys fall like bulleted dominoes, the scene itself checks off one born in Hollywood cliche after another of the rugged gunslinger, the war, warrior in camo, good versus evil, the modern vanquishing the profane, a man at his fullest. Well, that's what he did. Since Peter Mass, not to be confused with Peter Moss, who wrote one of the best nonfiction books I've ever read, has shit for brains, I think I'll explain this slowly. The Taliban regularly raped women and girls of villages they had conquered. Then they would stone these same women to death for infidelity because they had been raped. The Taliban are the Harvey Weinsteins. The U.S. Special Forces that went into Afghanistan fought the Taliban. They rescued women from being raped by the Taliban forces. The Special Forces are not like anybody in Hollywood because they all know and knew and went along with it for the money. Taliban equal raping terrorists, bad guy. Special Forces, good guys. It's not much more complex. Then this writer goes on. Whenever I write about the real world impact of war movies, I've gone to bat against American Sniper, Zero Duck 30, 13 Hours. 
I always get a response along the line, relax, these are just movies. Don't take them seriously. They're harmless. That's when it becomes necessary to say that movies can create or reinforce narratives of history and gender that influence what people think about what they do. Boys and men develop their notions of masculinity from a variety of sources that include films they watch. The time has come for Hollywood to turn away from war movies that will satisfy, while satisfying to both a studio's bottom line and a flag-wagging concept of patriotism, perpetuate a model of masculinity that is violence to us all. Later, don't get me wrong, soldiers often do brave things that should be denied, shouldn't be denied credit for it. I've reported on the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, and Bosnia, so I've seen heroism for soldiers of many nationalities as well as cowardice and abuse. That's not the issue. What matters is that well into the second decade of our forever war, the combat movies that populate our multiplexes in our minds are devoted to a martial narrative of men as terminators that should have been strangled at its birth a long time ago. Yeah, that actually was an article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other great quotes. They dog, no, thank you for service was a liberal war movie that shit on the American military and patriotism. Liberals love a war movie that makes the military look awful. They get off on their hatred for traditional patriotic values. Talk about a toxic, toxic mentality. 12 strong earned nearly twice as much in three days as thank you for your services earned in three months. And the numbers, more than 15 million in tickle sales for 12 strong in its first week, are the Vino pennies compared to the box office take of American Sniper. The macho movie about a Navy SEAL sniper, Chris Kyle, that has endured more than half a billion dollars since 2014. Who is at fault for the lucrative war chum that Hollywood tosses into our Saturday nights? The movie studios or the movie goers who love to consume this masculine nonsense? This author says, I think the best explanation of this is to quote General George Patton, a man who pissed more testosterone than Moss has in his whole body. Americans love a winner. Americans will not tolerate a loser. Americans despise cowards. Americans play to win all of the time. I wouldn't get a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed. That's why America has never lost nor will ever lose a war, for the very idea of losing is hateful to Americans. Chris Kyle was a winner. The Men in 12 Strong were winners. Hollywood make a movie that rubs the idea of how shitty America is to its veterans in the face of middle America is a loser. I am at this point reminded of a quote often attributed to George Orwell. People sleep peacefully in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. America celebrates those who are ready to do violence on our behalf. Protecting the innocent from those who'd want to do us harm. Confusing that virtue for a bunch of Hollywood elites abusing their power to take advantage of women is not virtue. It's evil. So is terrorism. Engaging of some sort of moral equivalency that makes one the same as the other is toxic idiocy. American Sniper, Black Hawk Down, and 12 Strong are movies for men who love their wives and children who would put their lives in line to protect them. These same movies are criticized by males who didn't have need to have another man satisfy their wives. <laughs> I could read you about 30 articles of reviews on this. They all dog it. 
Because it goes back to what I always say on this show. The left hates the military. They hate Christians. They hate gun owners. They hate everybody who's not them. They are the true intolerant people in our country. They have become the new KKK. And I will not take that back. That is who they are. This movie was fantastic. It needed to be told because during all this war, the only stories you know about from our media are ones that America fucked up. We did something wrong. Abu Ghraib. You knew more about that than you know about Benghazi. You know more about that than you know about the IRS scandal. You didn't know anything about that. And in typical fashion, since 9-11, all we've done is attack the people that are fighting the wars. For those who need examples, Murtha, a guy who legally shoots somebody because he was a combatant, and he was called a murderer, and he had to leave the military honorably discharged. Because he was treated so poorly by a senator who was a Democrat who fought in Vietnam, for Christ's sake. You don't know about these heroes. These stories aren't being told. Because Hollywood hates conservatives, so they only put out anti-patriotic movies. Born on the 4th of July is a movie they love. A John Kerry type soldier who goes over and kills a bunch of people and gets awards for it and then comes back and protests the war he fought in. In John Kerry's case, he then ran as a war hero, which made no fucking sense to me, but whatever. But if you haven't seen 12 Strong, go see it. Fantastic movie. I bought the fucking thing because it was that good of a movie. And I think it's a perfect analysis of what we just covered for the last two and a half hours. There's a sect in our country that hates it so much. It hates its populace. It hates everybody that doesn't see the world at them, as them. And they are trying to destroy it. I've said it for the last six podcasts. I'll say it for a seventh. We will have a civil war, and it won't be started by normal Americans. It'll be started by these intolerant fucks that are going to overstep their boundaries and try to take the liberties away from everybody who doesn't see their worldview. It won't be the alt-right. It will just be the left. Because as Page in Oregon showed you, me... Doing a meme was her excuse to no longer talk to a person like me who doesn't see the world like her. I was that evil. She disconnected from me. They can't even fathom that other people think unlike them. And if you've gotten that far in your politics... That you believe everything other than what you think is wrong. 
That is the most un-American concept you can have. Our forefathers created a country based on the concept that you could be free to believe, worship, and live your life in a country that allows you to have these liberties. But all you hear now is how you don't deserve liberties because you don't believe their politics. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Send comments by email on F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast at gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Make sure to check out the Flyover Politic webpage for right now. I'll stay up because I still have money. I'm doing fine, actually, but I, I need to get a job. And you can go there and see that at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Foppodcast.com. See links to feed the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. There you all see a link to every episode on the episode release page. And my blogs that I don't ever do on my blog page. Our next podcast will be 20 April, year of our Lord, 2018. Going to do two a week. Uh, this one's kind of long, but I had a lot of sound bites that were just needed to be heard. I hope you have an enjoyable week this week. I'm getting snow flurries here where I live, which is not spring-like. And I will be in slave labor camp once I produce this podcast. Because for the week of break, I'm going to be cleaning the house and going through garages and shit like that. So wish me luck. It's going to suck. Make sure you disconnect from all your electronics. Do not give the yeah yeahs And spend time with those you love because it's a short ride. You gotta make every day count. Tune back in Friday. As always, thanks for listening. And take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Five Over Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. She's a shame